Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Tuesday, July 25th. It's time for the Power Hour. We've got the team from Pittsburgh Power in the house with us. Well, we're short one player today. Leroy's on vacation. I don't remember approving that. We'll have to talk with Leroy about that. But we're here. We'll try to handle it without him today. Jump in and join us. We're going to open the phone lines right now, 855-950-3835. I'll talk with Bruce and Pete, and then we'll get to your calls and questions. So go ahead and line them up. Bruce, good morning. Welcome back. Good morning, Kevin. What's on your mind this morning? Hey, before we get started, um, have you ever looked to see what it takes to run an Ironman triathlon? No, because there's no sense in me even thinking about something like that. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't do it to think that I could ever do it myself. It's just pretty incredible what it is. And also... Uh, when you get into your mid seventies, you get to know some limitations that you thought would never hit you, but they're, they're here. Yeah. So, and I was never, even when I was a boy scout, we'd do the 50 run, 50 walk. You do a mile in what, eight minutes or something. And when you do those 50 steps, I'd get those, those pains along the side of your stomach. I, they call them splints or something. I, I, I'm with you. I'm I was, not a runner. I was a great yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was a great short distance runner. 300 yeah. feet for the football field was long enough. Yep. I agree. So and, the so. first time I heard somebody complete an Ironman triathlon, it's just pretty incredible. I mean, you, you swim almost two miles, you ride a bike, 112 miles, you run a full marathon, 26.2, pretty incredible. And then when you see the times that some people do it in, I interviewed a guy yesterday on my show. He did, he's done it many, many times. Two of them back to back. I don't wow. know, it, it's just incredible what the human body can do. He was a Navy SEAL for 18 years. He set all kinds of endurance records. Um, it's a pretty incredible story. So what's on your mind this week? Yeah. Okay. First of all, I'm calling on municipalities and trying to help them with their uh, emission problems, but it's incredible how everyone's afraid, and these government employees are afraid to make a decision. They say, well, let's just try it in this couple of trucks. you got to start climbing the corporate ladder. But I was in one the other day, and I was complaining of these weeds that I had that had these little burrs, and they get in my dog's burr, and they're really hard to get out. He said, just spray him with DEF. I said, diesel exhaust fluid. He said, best weed killer you can find. <laughs> and it's a lot cheaper than Roundup. Uh, so I went to the uh, auto parts store, bought two and a half gallon bottle, put it in my spray pump spray. One application and killed them. Can, can we not so promote this? Just to make sure they're... <laughs> <What's that? laughs> can, can we not promote this let's not tell anybody okay that's just between you and i let's put take the def and put it in a different bottle and call it weed killer it, it might it, so you know, look, i wouldn't it, argue it might be safer than roundup i still doubt that it's our best option but it it turns those weeds <laughs> Black. It, I mean, it kills in first application. So I have some weeds I've used Roundups and other things on. I'll, I'll hit them I, every other night for a week sometimes to kill them. 
Uh, this stuff seems to work pretty good. Now, I don't I, know if it works on all weeds, but the weeds that I'm going after. I, well, I've got something that works, and, and I think you would have fun with it. And I think it'd really be fun now if you went out and hit the weeds you just hit with the DEF. I've got a uh, I've got a propane bottle I put on a two-wheeler, strapped it on, and I've got this big wand torch, and I just torch the weeds. I do that in Colorado. Yeah, it works good. it's all dried sagebrush and stuff. Yeah, it works real good. I, I imagine that so, DEF on there would be a nice accelerant to get things going, too. I might have to try it. I'll hit it with the torch <laughs> after the show and see. All right. And we have, if anyone has a Kenworth or Peterbilt, um, somewhere 2012 and newer, preferably with the ISX or X15 that they want to sell, I have a client, he's in Dallas right now, moving to uh, back to Arkansas where he was born, and he's going from Holland and driving back into a dump truck. And he's having a heck of a time looking for one. Alan Huggins is his name. So if you call me, if you know somebody that has one. But he found this interesting truck up in Caledonia Diesel, kind of southwest from Rochester, New York. It's a 2015 T800, 310,000 miles, 69,000-pound tri-drive rears. I have never seen a 69,000-pound wow. rear. Yeah, 430 that's... gears on tall rubber. It's just a cabin chassis. The chassis is 25 foot, 8 inches long. And uh, I think it's white. If somebody wants to go in and look at Caledonia Diesel, it's stock number 6776. I'll say that again, 6776. I don't think it's the right truck to make it. That, that's, the, uh, that's my biggest question. Truck out of. And, and I don't know that market at all, really, when it comes to specs on axles and differentials. And I, I don't know that market at all. Well, we'd like it to have 48,000 rears, 46 would be okay, and a lift axle, but this is a tri-drive, so super heavy haul truck that's available. Huh, all right, interesting. Next thing is we're going to start, sometimes I get phone calls and people listening to the show don't realize that we work on trucks. <laughs> yes, so, you do. And we're going to also do a video. I'll be back in the uh, in Saxonburg the week of the 8th of August. We're going to do a video on different measuring cups you can use to put the Max Mileage Fuelborne Catalyst into your tank, how to use the syringe and things like that. Uh, we had a guy got a 16-ounce bottle. He's got several college degrees. He had the syringe. The syringe does not fit in the 16-ounce bottle called and said, can't get the catalyst in the syringe. I said, you ever hear me talk about those little jars that had minced garlic in or baby food or anything? You just dump it in the jar, suck it up in the syringe, and dump the rest of it back in the bottle or put the lid on the jar. Oh, I never thought of that. I said, that's why you should call me. <laughs> anyway, so we're going to do, it's called... And Pete's going to head this up. What's in the shop? Well, that should be and fun. Pete's going to talk about 
Pete's going to talk about what we have that's in the shop right now. So people know that we do work on trucks. I love that idea. Pete? Yeah. Uh, hold on. Let me bring Pete in. If you're done. I'm finished. All right. Pete, good morning. Morning, Kevin. How are right. you today? Good. Are you going to become a TV producer now? Yeah. I, I, yeah, I need, need a change. I love this idea. Add something to my list. Yeah, absolutely. When I was hanging out there every day, I was usually wandering around the shop asking people that. What's this for in here for? There's some really good stories. There sure are. There sure is. I don't think a lot of people realize goes on behind the scenes of a shop yeah you know there's always good stories with trucks there's always something interesting going on especially in your shop i mean any shop would have some of these stories but you guys had some unusual stuff in there like project stuff that is not the norm um it was the truck that was over there in the corner when i was there last year uh bruce you and i talked about it and was getting a whole new radiator front core was that an old W nine? Was that over there? Did we put a in place yes. of an NTC? Yes, that was the project. Yeah. That was a crazy project. Uh, the, what I found really interesting is all the trucks that come in that aren't over the road trucks. Some of the really weird stuff you guys get in there from some of the municipalities, some of the, you know, work trucks and weird, you know, odd pumper kind of trucks. I always find that fascinating. You never know what the next phone call is or the next item that pulls in the parking lot. It's a, it's a fascinating, this owner-operator segment of trucking is fascinating, Kevin, because you just, every day is different and every day is kind of exciting. Some days are frustrating. Some days are extremely rewarding. But uh, and you're affecting people's lives because you're working with the vehicle that makes their life possible. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to say something here that really doesn't pertain, but I was watching a movie, and this guy was a normal guy and met a wealthy lady, and she takes him to dinner with all these uh, high-class people. And after dinner, she says, well, what do you think? He says, I think they're phonies. <laughs> Made me think of our owner operator clients. We are real people. Yes. Nothing's for pretend, right? You don't have to put on a front. And uh, it just made me really happy to be in the industry that I'm in. Yes. So we don't have to deal with phony people. I agree. I agree. This is where the work gets so done. Pete, yeah, that's right. This is the grassroots. Pete, uh, did you hear me mention what's in the shop? I did hear okay. that. Okay. There you go. It's yours. Okay. So a couple of things. As far as coming into our shop right now, small jobs, we're starting like August 7th, taking appointments. Uh, large jobs, August 14th. And like tunes and dinos, we can normally get those in much quicker. A day or two notice, we can get you in. So we're, we're getting caught up and not quite as backed up as we were. But right now, we have a full shop with quite a bit going on. I have an N14 Getting in frame. Uh, we have a, this is a little an unusual problem here. It's a DD15 with uh, codes for high soot DOC inefficiency code. It's a 2021 with 651,000 miles on it. So they're, it's a, they run team. They're putting a lot of miles on it and um, trying to figure out what's going on with that one. The, the um, DPFs are clean. They look good. We're going to check them to make sure that they flow okay, but um, at this point, 
this morning, you know, they, they were in the process of figuring out what the problem is. Kind of, and everything looked pretty clean in there. So I'm not sure what's going on at this point yet. But, you know, kind of at the life expectancy of a, a DPF 1,000 miles. Not sure where that's going to lead. Uh, we have an uh, uh, ISX outer frame. So it was a customer that we did an in-frame 800,000 miles ago. And it still had some life left in it. Uh, but he wanted to do an outer frame. And at this point, that should take him to retirement. So we got that going on, and then a big cam out of frame. And a truck came in with an old big cam, and it just kind of snowballed where the block is just a little rough. Um, it, it's repairable, uh, but pretty expensive to repair. So the customer uh, apparently has a used engine. We're going to bring in. To, we're going to put the swap engines in on that big cam. And then we have a Western Star with a D-Deck Forza uh, Glider that we're putting a three-quarter engine in, which is I like those are good jobs. Uh, it's a good value for your money. You're getting well, the ones we're seeing new blocks and you know, they're putting new cam in it. Uh, we can hardly uh, in frame one parts and labor for what the price of the engine costs. Now, of course, you have labor to put it in and you're going to do a clutch and you're going to do motor mounts and, you know, that adds up. But, you know, you got a newer truck with a engine that could go a million miles without a problem. Again. Yeah. So the, Pete, did you say what the engine was? A D-Deck uh, 3 or D-Deck 4. Okay. You want to explain what a three-quarter engine is? So the three-quarter engine, and people call them different names, sometimes long block. Um, but in Detroit, they call it a three-quarter engine. And it's an engine valve covered to oil pan with nothing on the sides. So you're going to reuse your ECM, your air compressor, your turbo, your flywheel housing, flywheel, which is Reusable. We normally put our turbo and our manifold on it. Um, ECMs you replace them if they're bad. Um, you might want to upgrade a harness, but you know, now's the time to do it because there's no labor involved. It's already off. So it's, it's a really good deal Detroit has with these three-quarter engines. Makes for a nice job. Yeah, that sounds nice. And a little bit, a bit of time saving as, as well. You know, if we had the engine here, it's a matter of pulling the engine out, swapping parts over putting it back in versus pulling the engine out, disassembling it, send the block and crank to the machine shop, wait for them, reassemble the engine, you know, a lot more downtime that way. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. That, that's what's going on in the shop. So right now we got a full shop. Yeah. Yeah. Some big stuff going on. You didn't mention there's a big cam on the dyno. I, oh, that's right. We did. We just finished one up. We finished a in frame and this morning it was on the dyno. They're, breaking it in and taking some readings so we know where the horsepower is going to be at. We just finished up yesterday. Is this a rebuild to a 550-600? No, um, it was a 400 to 500 horse. Okay. So we didn't get to the cam or anything like that. So it'd be our so, turbo, injectors, uh, the fuel pump. So that's, a, that's another interesting place. Maybe you guys should put a video in the dyno room and have a video feed online. There's some interesting stuff going on in that dyno room all day long. I was when I was staying there, I was parked out back right by the entrance. That's a busy dyno. It, it is. It is used an awful lot. I, I doubt if most shops use it as much as we do. I'm sure they don't. Yeah, I'm sure they don't. And, and for a lot of weeks, you know, we're like the NTC. It's a good way to break it in. But also. We're checking the horsepower to make sure where it's where we want it to be. You know, we don't want it to go out 
too high, nor do we want them to go out underpowered. So that, that. And then we also use it for diagnostics. Uh, a lot of people, I don't think, use a, a dyno like they should. Right. Um, you know, if you make the problem show up at the shop, you're not going to fix it. On the dyno, you can't because you can, you know, hold it at 1600 if the problem's at 1600 RPM. Or it only does it when the engine's hot. Well, we can make the engine hot. Right. You just run on the dyno for a while. Well, Pete, there's a reason for that. We have electrical engineers running our dyno. And they understand all the different currents and what's supposed to be coming from the sensors. Mechanical guys like you and I don't understand that. Most of the mechanics in the country, in North America, maybe in the world, are mechanical guys. So, it, I, I'll attest to that. When when I went back to the dyno room, it's like a uh, it's like a geek fest back there with all the data. So it is all the engineers back there. They love that thing. Yeah, geek fest. That's a good one. That's <laughs> yeah, that's what one. it looked like back there. There's a uh, engine problem. My mind straight goes to a mechanical problem with it, especially if there's not codes. There's a code for a boost sensor. Okay, that's a little different. Hey, I got a problem. Don't have a code. I'm thinking mechanical and Leroy's thinking electronic right away. Um, Just two different ways of thinking. JR also. JR thinks electrically. They don't see pistons going up and down and injector spray, and they see electric (laughs) currents going all over the place. Yeah. It's a different, it's a different mindset. Yeah, really is. And, and today you have to have both. It, it's one of the reasons your shop yeah. is so successful. You've got both really solid and you have to today. There's no way around it. And we had another interesting problem. Uh, and, and this is sometimes I, I'm, I'm puzzled. I'm like, okay, how have we never seen this? You know, we've been doing big camps for 40 years. Um, I've been here 37 Big cams, K's, DVs, you know, the mechanical engines, the fuel pumps virtually the same. And did a pump for a customer and he caught up and said, it won't rev. It won't free rev. I'm like, okay, that just can't be. Let's make sure the linkage is okay. Um, check power to solenoid, a couple of things. Everything was fine. Send it back. We spin it on the test stand. Test fine. So then Bruce said, hey, let's throw it on another truck, see how it acts. It won't rev up. So we change the solenoid. Deal won't rev up took the pump apart again. Did we miss something? Everything's perfect. There's nothing wrong. And so I was talking to Pat in the pump room, like, you know, what, what do you think it could be? I mean, he said, everything's right on You know, there's no problem with the housing, the gear pump look good. Uh, you know, all, any worn items, governor, governor plunger has been replaced. It, it's just nothing could be wrong. And I said, well, let's just change the gear pump. Cause that is a quick thing to change. It's relatively easy. Now, the gear pump is what makes the fuel pressure. If you have a bad gear pump, like if it's broke, it won't start. If it's worn, you use low fuel pressure. Never seen one not rev. Throw a used gear pump on there for a test, throw it in a truck, it revs up. So in all these years, we've never seen that problem exist. It's shocking. You know, we run into a problem that never we've never seen before and something that old. That's crazy, you really. Know, you it, it, and, and keep in mind, when that's on that pump stand that pump stand in 1982 i think we bought it was $35,000 back then so that'd be like 800,000 now yeah that pump wow. stand adds adds restrictions 
So you add restriction to make sure that that gear pump is picking up that fuel out of that tank, bringing it through the lines, through the filter, into the pump, compressing it, sending it on to the injectors. So we can simulate clogged fuel fuel filter and, and restricted fuel lines with that pump. And yet that gear pump worked on that pump stand, but wouldn't work on a truck. Yeah. How weird. And, it, you know, paddle, uh, you know, I have a pump and he'll come in and say, hey, this customer needs a gear pump. Uh, do you want to replace this? Replace it. I'll give the customer a heads up that, you know, gear pump's bad. And that any gear pump, whatever you're using it for, wears out. I mean, and we're using fuel for lubricant. If fuel's not good, did water run through it, dirt, who knows? Um, they wear out. And like I said, we'll see low power because of that. But it, it takes virtually nothing to free rev an engine. And it, it just wouldn't do it. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, we, we were just, sense. we were just talking about mechanical versus electronic issues on that mechanical engine. It, really things happen one way. I mean, that's how mechanical stuff works and it's pretty simple. You know how it works, you know, what's going on when we switch to electronics that changes so much. You know, you said, how could we find a new problem on a, on a simple mechanical engine that you guys have a million hours into? I mean, there's no way you could know more about that, that engine. And yet you came up with this weird problem. With electronic engines, you'll never run out of problems. I mean, some of the crazy stuff, when you start talking about computers and, you know, I'll, I'll get an update on some software program. And if you ever read through the list of what they updated, you look at it, you go, who the hell figured this out? I mean, the problem only occurs when you're looking to the east and the sun is setting and you click on the L button instead of the K. I mean, that's the only time the problem occurs. How did, who figured that out? And there's 37 problems like that that they just fixed in the software. You'll never run out of problems in electronics. Now, we've seen new problems on that. You know, even something as, as basic as the DDEC4 electronic-wise. Right. I mean, you just added a, a host of things that could be going wrong with it that make no sense. Yeah, yeah. That's how we discovered the battery in the DDEC4 ECM going bad. And, you know, people would say their cruise control doesn't work, their coolant temp gauge fluctuates, and some other fluctuations in other um, gauges and it led all down to the battery. And we learned how to replace the battery. You replaced the battery in a DDEC4 ECM for me. And how long had that engine been out and nobody had ever known that? Nobody talked about that ever until you guys figured it out. And that engine had been around a long time. And there's a lot of them. Yeah. It was an extremely popular engine. Yeah. Yeah. What a simple, inexpensive fix compared to what every other shop had to be doing, which was just replacing the ECM. Yeah. We'll have to have like injector drivers. If if, uh, one particular cylinder isn't firing, sometimes on some ECMs, we can put a new injector driver and solder it in the ECM. We'll have to have Leroy. Maybe next week talk about uh, everything that we can change in an ECM. Yeah. Don't don't let your truck you stop tuners not- try stuff like that. By the way. <laughs> um, you know, I West Virginia University and Virginia Tech are rivals. 
and their rivals, even down to their bus drivers that drive the teams to different events. West Virginia University doesn't want to be passed by a Virginia Tech bus and vice versa. Now, we know that exists in the owner-operator segment of trucking, right? Yeah. But we, who would have ever thought that existed in college buses? And so we reworked a lot of the buses for West Virginia University and made them up. Not quite a full hot rod bus, but a, a great running bus, 60 series. And, and then they brought us this one. Yeah. Pete, you remember the one that had a half inch of diesel fuel in it? And yeah, so that was an interesting problem. We had, so it was a bus that uh, West Virginia used to shuttle their kids around. And what would happen was it was an automatic transmission and the Jake would just randomly come on, even under throttle. So, uh, did, you know, they, they couldn't find the problem. Detroit's blaming the bus company. I, I don't know if it was MCI or who. And then the bus company's blaming Detroit. Uh, so we get the bus here, get the ECM off, and it felt heavy. And we took it apart and it was full of fuel. And as we brought this up to the, the driver, he's like, oh, I had a fuel line leak and it was spraying fuel right on the ECM. Uh-huh. So it filled up with diesel. Now, fortunately, it was diesel fuel and not water. Right. And didn't do any damage to the ECM. We were simply able to, to drain it, clean it, and put it back together, and it was fine. And there was no corrosion or anything like that in there. But it would short circuit, the, for whatever reason, just the Jake uh, segment of it. And the Jake would just randomly come on. So, so they could be pulling a hill in Virginia, and the Jake would come on. Wouldn't you turn that into a big fuel pump at that point? Wouldn't you be pumping fuel right back out the exhaust? Is that what happens? No, it's in well, ECM. No, I know, but if the Jake comes on under throttle, what happens? What's mm. going on inside the engine? I love the smoke. Oh. Right, yeah, you're going to have unburnt fuel going out there, smoke. Um, I don't know if, uh, you know, at that point, they're backing up the throttle really quick because it's scaring the crap out of them. Yes. Yeah, so so that, I don't that, know how much. That's kind of what I'm wondering. Fuel would be right. What, what yeah. happens in the truck at that point? You would have to know something really went wrong. Yeah, I, I've had on the old mechanical engines where the throttle was, um, the, the Jake brake lever was thick and, and you're under throttle. And that's pretty frightening. I mean, that I'll comes bet. out pretty harsh. Yeah. Huh. By the way. If you're ever looking for Jake brake issues or uh, dead cylinders and you have the turbo off and the exhaust manifold off, don't be standing by the engine on the exhaust side if somebody hits the Jake brake because we've seen flames come out six feet. Whoa. And you could lose your face. Yikes. I mean, it's it's a it's a violent explosion in there. So I'll bet. Yeah. I mean, we learned that the hard way, too. Yeah. So, Nobody got burned, but we were close. So you never stand there, and you never want to stand there just in case a piece of valve or a valve guide comes up. So it, I mean, anything can come out of there. Yeah. Whew. Hey, by the way, I wanted to talk about this weeks ago. I just thought about it. NH250s did not have a turbo on them. They made 250 horsepower, 855 cubic inches, just like most of the engines today. So if you would lose a turbo and you can plug off the oil line and let's say the turbine wheel went on out through and it's in the muffler or out in the stack, you could actually plug that turbo feed line and drive that truck 
very easily and not use over 250 to 270 horsepower and you'd be okay. Hmm. You can get it into a shop. That's a nice save. Yeah. You got to make sure though, you got to be able to plug the feed, turbo feed line. If not, all your oil is going back into that blown up turbo. Yeah, it's not so, good. And you want to make sure that the turbine wheel isn't. This is for whenever the turbine wheel separates from the shaft and the turbine wheel is gone. All right. What else we got? Now, you know, I, I, do you see what Pete did to me right there about that West Virginia bus? I was starting that story and he just came right in and took that away from me. Huh. But that's okay. He he knew more about that problem than I did. I didn't know their Jake break was coming on. But that's oh, yeah. okay, Pete. <laughs> yeah. I I also want to say you people heard that Pete said thirty seven years. Well, Pete has a twin brother and his name's Pat Sharp, and he's been with us come January will be forty years. And he's the man that does the fuel pumps and injectors for big cams and NVT units and rebuilds turbos. Used to do a lot of oil coolers, after coolers, oil pumps. Air compressors. uh, Air compressors. We used to do all the water pumps. We used to do all the components for big cams. And uh, that'll be 40 years. He's our oldest employee. Wow. Not oldest age-wise, oldest year-wise. It'll be 40 years in January. That's incredible. Bruce, I brag about your, your shop and your employees all the time. It, it says a lot when you have employees, lots of them, that have been around a very, very long time. In an industry where there's tons and tons of turnover in those positions, uh, it's pretty incredible. Uh, speaking of that, I, I, I love studying business. I love small businesses that are run really well, and you can usually pick it up pretty quickly. You've been out here. We live in a really small town across the rivers, another small town in Washington. They have one of the best grocery stores I've ever seen in a small town. Usually, I mean, the one we have in our town here is pathetic. Uh, Usually in a small town, you don't get great grocery stores. This one over there is so well run, and I've never seen a small store carry some of the stuff they carry. I just was over there yesterday, and I happened to be talking to the cashier at a grocery store in a small town. She's been there 25 years, and she said there are three employees that have been there longer than she has. The owners that are that are there now took it over 28 years ago and, and turned the place around. It's just, I, I just love seeing business run that well. Thank you, I appreciate and I, that. Pat and I, we have Amy's, Amy and Brian started within a year of each other, and I don't know which one's been here longer, but they started like one year after me and then two years after me. So they've been here 30 plus years. And then Gary, who retired, uh, he was here, what, 30 plus years too, Bruce, right? Well, yeah. yeah. He was hired was about 30 30 years before I, I was here. So at early 80s, you hired him? Yep. My very, very first employee, I worked with me. He was still in high school. When he got out of high school, he came over and he ended up uh, selling parts then for by the Freightliner, and unfortunately, we lost him to cancer. And then Gary Hoffman was my second employee. And Gary was a Corvette mechanic, and he was a great Corvette mechanic. And he came walking in the shop one day, and I was up working on a big GM engine. And he wanted some CBA headlights, those headlights made in France that were really bright white back then. You know, back then, like yeah. 1980, 1980. 
And uh, well, they worked so good. I had a guy, Everett Teeter, he had six A model KWs from up by Johnstown, PA, in a little town called Nanny Glow. And he bought four for his truck. Then he came down and bought five more sets. And these things are fairly expensive. I said, what are you going to do with those, Everett? He said, well, if I'm not driving my truck and I want to drive one of the other A models, I want to be able to see his good. So he bought them all for his driver. But Gary came in, and and I know the Corvette shop had just closed. And I said, what are you doing, Gary? So I'm kind of looking for work. I said, well, how'd you like to work on trucks? He said, well, I don't know anything about these. I said, well, I didn't either a couple of years ago. So <laughs> <laughs> he started, I think, was the next day. <laughs> so there you go. We learned on on uh, changing a camshaft in a 335 in a Diamond Rio. Wow. So, yeah. Hey, you know, since, a, since you brought this up, I'm going to take a moment for a little rant. Can we all agree that we have now taken the headlight thing too far? There, There is too far. I love bright headlights when I'm driving, especially if I'm out in the back roads. I love to be able to see. We've taken this a bit too far now. Can we back off this whole idea of really, really bright headlights? I think the brightest is the new Ford pickup trucks, and they sit so high, and if you're in a car and you're down low, they are bright. I think they're the brightest is the Ford pickup. You know, I wonder if that's the same headlight as, like, the Ford SUVs, whether it's the Explorer. I was watching OP Live, that, that live cop show the other night, and they actually talked about that, that when they get these new SUV, Ford SUVs, the headlights are so bright. People are pulling over. They think they're like signaling them to pull over. These lights are so bright. Hmm. I think you know, it, they're even having a problem with lights. Some towns are upgrading the street lights, and the people are complaining they're too bright. Yeah, it, it, we we need to put an end to this. It's not good for us. Not good for our eyes. It's <laughs> annoying as hell. Uh, and, and you know what? It's not even a matter of if they're shining in your eyes anymore. They can be perfectly aimed at the street, but they're so bright, they're still annoying. Hmm. Yeah. Anyway. Try those yellow glasses that you see they advertise on television. I'm sure it would help. I know it would, but you know, I should, uh, maybe we can Beep. just say we have headlights now that are bright enough we can stop. We, we don't need searchlights on the front of our vehicles. Okay. All right. Let's get All to right. some phone calls. Let's, uh, phone lines are open, 855-950-3835. We're going to get started in Maryland. Rob, welcome. Hey, Kevin. How you doing? Good. Uh, well, can we help you out today? for you, then. I got a question for uh, Pittsburgh. Uh, I called you back in January. I broke my ankle. Uh, so I ended up getting surgery on that. I'm back to work now. Everything's feeling good. It's, it's healing up really well. So I just wanted to let you know about that. Good. Good. Glad to hear it. And uh, my question for Pittsburgh is uh, Detroit DX3 or 4 and performing my own crankcase pressure test. So, like, if I wanted to do it while I was driving down the road, I'm, I know I would get the uh, manometer in inches. And would I just put it, put a hose over top of the dipstick and bring it back up to the manometer in the cab and then run it or do a, I don't block off the, uh, blow by tube, right? So on the Detroit's, you do not block off the blow by tube on some engines. We do on the Detroit's, you don't, um, I, I'm kind of thinking 
that our guys go off of the filler tube. We, we actually have a fitting that goes in there, locks in place. And I believe that fitting going to the hose is orifice. I know on the N14s okay. and NPCs they are. Uh, and you take a, a certain orifice for that engine. It's somewhat engine specific. And, and the difference is like on an N14, 12 inches of blow by is the max. On a Detroit, it's like three inches, but they're measuring it differently. You know, they're not, the N14s will block off the blow by tube, whereas the Detroit does not. So it's, it's a lower amount, but you're not comparing apples to apples. Okay. And, and so you, if, you, if you're saying it, it's orifice, is there a specific orifice size to test the Detroit? Yeah, you can't just put a hose into, into it with a slack tube. I mean, it, it's actual tool that, that does that. Okay. It's something you're going to have to buy. It's not going to be able to something you, you can make. Okay. okay. Are you using much oil? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm using a ton of oil. And the thing is, I just did an overhaul on this engine 27,000 miles ago, and I am burning gallon of oil every 2,000 miles. That's what. Now, has it gotten worse, and better, or no change? Um, it, It's pretty consistent. It seems like it may be getting a little better, but not by much. If I'm not at 2,000 miles, then I'm at 2,500 miles. Okay. Right. Whose parts did you put in the engine? PAI. PAI. Yeah. Did you and, do the um, build yourself? Yeah, I did the build myself, and I got the liners cut, set the protrusion at 4,000, put a new head on it, um, and I took it out. I, I got loaded. I put a, a full load on it, and I had to drive about. Uh, with the full load, I went from Baltimore, and I was heading out to Hagerstown. So I went over, uh, what is that, uh, Braddock Mountain and South Hill. I went back and forth over those hills about four or five times, a good 75 yeah. miles going back and forth, you know, trying to break it in. But, uh, right. I mean, she just, she's still burning oil, and I'm 27,000 miles in. What kind of ring compressor did you have? Um, it was it's actually one that my dad had. It was it was for diesels. I, I don't know what brand it was or anything, but it was, it was it, a good ring compressor. Is it the type that you had the band that went around and you had to turn it with like a big Allen wrench? Or was it the type that's like a clamshell? You pull the pin, you open it up like a liner that's split in two and has two handles on it. You coat the rings with the 20W50 oil and then you coat the ring compressor and then you squeeze it around the rings did you have that type by any chance no it was the band type the band type yeah we found that the band type worked good in uh, small block chevys and small block fords but when you're dealing with the diameter of a diesel engine piston uh, we were not successful with that band type so Kent Moore Porta Tool makes the, we have separate ring compressors for every engine that we rebuild. And uh, it almost looks like a half of a line or a liner cut in two and hinged and has two handles on it. Um, let's see, how can we get a picture of that? Uh, I've seen them. I, I know exactly what you're talking about because I was looking at buying, a, buying one, but I figured I, I might use it twice in my life. But you, At this right. point, it would have been worth it if that's my problem. Yes. Well, uh, you know, a couple of things. Now, I don't know about the aftermarket companies, but Cat, Cummins, and Detroit, oil consumption, they're identical on, as far as warranty goes, how they go about it. And they basically won't even talk about consumption until we have 
for at least 40,000 miles on it, which they consider it should be broken by then. Um, and mm-hmm. you probably should call, uh, what brand do you say you put in there? PID, PAI, okay. call them and say, Hey, what's your policy on this? What's the break in period? Uh, and then just, you know, take it to the shop and, and put a manometer on it to see where it's at and see how high it is. Now you can also have oil consumption past the valve guide. Now, when that occurs, right. you have consumption, but you don't have blow by. Right. And to yeah, do so that's that, why you I wanted to check the uh, I wanted to check the blow by because, like I said, I I put a, a brand new head on it, so that shouldn't be an issue. But you know, anything can happen. Why don't you get a low dive shop and let's do it the right way and put it on the dyno and check your blow by? Yeah, I may just have to do that. Because you guys are close, and I, I don't go to – I usually run south, but it's nothing for me to run out of Pittsburgh. Right. Where are you in Maryland? Um, I'm out of Baltimore, but I'm actually coming out of Chambersburg right now and heading down to Thermont. Okay. Okay. All right. So, all right. Thanks so for the info, guys. My number, you know, then we know where we're at. At least you have a, a better idea. And, it, you know, consumption doesn't stop by 40,000 miles, and the blow-by is still high then we know the problems in the cylinders. Right. What did you do with the turbo? Did you do anything with the turbo? Um, the turbo it? is, the, the turbo was new. Um, I probably bought the turbo about a year ago. It's a, I'll put a 701 on it. So a turbo can cause blow by as well. And what happens is uh, from the compressor side, it will push boost pressure into the center section and pressurize the oil pan. Now the way we determine if the turbo is the issue because it doesn't leak oil out either direction. What we do is get the truck hot. It's idling. If you see the blow butt you have, you can see it puffing out. We shut the truck off, take the drain line off and run it into a bucket, put a hose on it, run to a bucket, fire the truck up. If you notice less blow by, that's an indication that the turbo is bad. If the blow by is the same, then it's not the turbo. Let me ask you another question. Who told you to put an O1 turbo on it? I was just doing my research and, and doing a lot of reading on things, and um, I came to that decision myself just reading how the 702, unless you have a tune on it, it it's kind of laggy on the 12.7. You know, that was bullshit, and the people that are saying that really don't have enough knowledge to be writing stuff like that. And if the if you think the O2 is sluggish, we just put the turbo blanket on the turbine housing, and that speeds it right up. And your turbo is too small for the terrain you're running. You're running a city bus turbocharger on that engine, and you're choking it with exhaust. You're making a tremendous amount of back pressure. Mm-hmm. First thing I'd do is I'd be getting rid of that turbo and getting one of our turbos on, and let's look at the ECM. And why don't you just bring it to the shop? Let's pull the manifold, see if we see oil running down the valve guides, do the dyno run with it, put the correct turbo on it, and uh, get rid of your back pressure inside the engine, inside the combustion chamber, and see if some of that oil consumption doesn't go away. Okay. All right. Well, it sounds good. I guess I'll be calling to make an appointment and make a trip up there. Okay. Sounds good. Thanks for the call. Let's right. go. There's people that, uh, let, hold on, Kevin. All right. There's some, some people out there that have caused a lot of problems for us. And on that last signature truck, there was a guy in Iowa putting the 
city bus turbos on. Yeah. That is not the way to go. I remember. You know, stop and go city driving and over the road driving is two totally different things. Yes, indeed. So, All right. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's go to Wisconsin. Mick, welcome to the program. Morning, guys. Um, quick question, or maybe not quick. I wanted to, I was thinking about uh, possibly an efficiency hack, I guess, for a air-cooled uh, Road Ranger transmission. It's, uh, what, 18.9, 613A or B. I forget if it's the A or B. But anyway, um, it's got the air-cooled um, oil cooler out front of the radiator. I was wondering if to if a person could put a, a T in those oil lines with a quarter valve, just kind of create a leak, um, let it heat up a little bit more. Um, normally on a normal day, you know, it, it may get up to like under 150. Um, in the wintertime, it barely ever even breaks the 100 mark on the gauge. And I just was wondering if that would be a way to gain a little efficiency or if you're just playing with fire and bad idea. Um, just cause I know the liquid cooled one obviously goes right up to water temperature. I just wondered if, you know, what you, if anybody you'd ever heard of anybody doing anything like that, or is that a bad idea? So your transmission, you feel staying too cold. Well, I'm just wondering if you could pick up some efficiency by letting that oil get a little hotter. And so my first question is how do we know your gauge is reading properly? Have whenever your gauge is showing a hundred, have you slid under the truck and touched the transmission to see how hot it feels? No, I don't. You know, it's just your stock Peterbilt gauges, you know, and then they've got the little yeah. sensor in there. I just, I, you know, I guess if you were going to get that close to boiling temperature, it would be more critical, but I don't really worry about it because it doesn't ever get hot enough. I just, it was a way, you know, I realized that, well, maybe you could pick up a little efficiency that way. I don't know if that would be. You know, I've got a really interesting question, one that we've never been asked. Let's have the next several people that call in. If they have a transmission temperature gauge, tell us what their transmission reads when they're out and working and going up the mountains. So let's um, let's just address the concept. We're we're talking about increase in. We've played around it with this. We played around with it in the engine with the Evans coolant. And, and we had statistics for that. Detroit put out a pretty big report. For every 10 degrees hotter you could run the engine, you picked up 1% in fuel economy. The downside to that is you get closer and closer to the point where components might fail. And it wasn't all the time. But we started noticing if you had anything weak in the head and you tried running those kind of temperatures, it was going to fail. So my guess is... Yes, if you could run the transmission hotter, there is a gain there, but I think it's going to be so small, you're never going to be able to measure it to prove that it's there, and the downside probably isn't worth trying to manage it. That would be my take on this. We've also looked at running lighter oils, and I think that's probably what you'll end up seeing. There are a couple oils out on the market now that are claiming a couple percent improvement just because they're lower viscosity oils and lighter oils and you're not really running as much risk that way so i i I see what you're going for i I don't think the gains would be worth the hassle and the risk okay 
That's my opinion good. anyway. That's, yeah, I just thought surely somebody had thought of that before me, and I thought eh, somebody's got to know. I'll just we, ask it. <laughs> I, I, I will say we really didn't look at temperature. Not that I ever remember. We did talk about and look at and start to. Um, watching oil weight you know could we run a lighter weight oil in there uh and the transmission would be a little easier than the differentials the differentials have all kinds of additives because of the pressure uh between the gears where the transmission doesn't have that same issue um and the oil companies are looking at this so the oil companies have put out some higher efficiency oils uh probably the temperature issue just isn't worth it you know, we're, we're already doing everything and we, we can in these engines to keep that temperature down. And if you think about it, if you start running the transmission hotter, that's going to transfer back into the engine and, and we may even end up with some engine overheating issues. Yeah. Well, what got me thinking of, yeah, what got me thinking about it was a friend of mine has a, a similar truck with a water-cooled transmission. He says it just sits there and runs about the same temperature as the engine all the time, which would make sense. I've always avoided that water-cooled one because I've heard that, you know, if that heat exchanger goes out, you contaminate your oil with coolant, and that's a bad thing. But I'm like, oh, well, maybe that would, you know. Anyway, so just just curious. Now, it, that, you know, that's so you said the way we think. You know, we, we, we're always looking for those little efficiencies, it, things in the past we've talked about, you know, taking the, um, the air, allowing the, the compressor, uh, to get its own air, not to get it out of the, the boost pressure. It, little things that are tweaks. And if you go by the physics, there should be an improvement. Many times just too small to measure. Sure. But you said right. something interesting. Your friend, now this is a 13 speed, right? Double over 13? Yep, correct, yep. And what kind of truck's it in? Peterbilt. And Pete. And yours runs around 100 degrees, and your friend has one that runs 180. Right. Yep. You could. Uh, that's just Midwest, you know, pretty much flatland yeah. on and not out in the what's mountains. The, what's the diameter of the line that goes to the cooler? Is that a number? Like number I think eight? it's about, it's a, like, a, I want to say an 8 or a 9 JIC fitting, or maybe like a yeah, 5 eighths yeah. to 3 quarter line. And it and runs all the way out front. To satisfy of your the, curiosity, yeah. put a quarter turn valve in it. And uh, well, that's what I was that, wondering, you know, or what? I guess it'd be easy enough to try it, you know, and just I didn't know if it would, you know, just overheat real quick, and you'd never have time to manage it, or if you'd be constantly in no, and out of the truck. No, no. And, There's a lot of transmissions don't even have coolers, so it's not okay. going to overheat. But I think you have one of those heat guns that you can point at it. Yeah, sure. Yep. Just have to Verify, see what that. the outside of the transmission says. Now that it's we're in hot weather, compare the outside of the transmission with what your gauge is saying, and then put a quarter turn valve in it and set it so it's open uh, halfway. So, so in a quarter okay. turn yeah. valve, you're only gonna you're gonna open it an eighth of a eighth of a yeah, turn, just right? Basically, kind of creating a leak to run it back to yeah. the return side. You know, you know, we have to do that sometimes on the return when we put a fast fuel system on because one tank will get more fuel than the other and we put a quarter turn valve on and then the driver just adjusts it. So try it and call us next week and let us know what it did. All right. Yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, see, I'll see what I can uh, come up with with, uh, um, you know, get the parts and 
throw that in there and just see what happens, I guess. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Thank Thanks you for the call. We're going to. Kevin, the next couple callers, let's see if they have transmission temp gauges and see what they're running. Yeah, good. We got lots of callers, too. They're starting to pile up on us. So let's go to Texas. Mark, welcome. Hey, good morning, y'all. Hey, before I get to my point, uh, number one, I do have a transmission gauge, trucks in the shop, getting airbags, which is why I was calling. And uh, so I can't tell you what it is, but I do have a temperature gauge for the transmission in the 2014 Western Star, 2018 Western Star, uh, 4,900. When you're driving the truck, what temperature do you see? I can't remember. It's below 200, but I can't remember. Okay. Okay. I mean, I look at it, but it's like, you know, it's not, it's not extreme. I mean, and yeah. I know this in the wintertime, it's a significantly cooler. So, uh, but I do look at it. I mean, I don't focus on it, but I do look at it and uh, see if anything is, you know, it looks abnormal or whatever. Uh, but I'll call you back when I, when I get back down the road and I'll figure out what it runs at. And I'll call one of these power hours back and tell you about it. So uh, before I get to the point, you were talking about oil changes and this, that, and the other and oil. Before I went on my vacation last week, I, I just recently last Spring bought a 20, uh, 20, 2023 Toyota Tacoma six-cylinder. And so it's got 5,000 miles. You bring it in. It comes with service. Not like that. You schedule to go in there. I thought, well, they're going to change the oil. They go, we don't change the oil until 10,000 miles. I'm like, until 10,000 miles? Yeah. Well, you need to come back in 10,000. We're just going to check the fluids and rotate the tires for you today. No no oil change because the oil changes are all covered. No, we'll change the oil at 10,000 miles. And I was like, well, okay, that's different. So normally it's 3,000, but... My last new vehicle was in 20, 2009, so I'm sure things have changed. Uh, oh, wait, so this is the very first oil change, and they want to go 10,000 miles? Yeah, Toyota. I would. Covered under their warranty and all that. Yeah, I mean, I know I what would, you say. I would all change it. Change it. Yeah. You change it. Don't worry okay. about them. Don't tell them you change it. You change it. Okay. All right. Well, I can't get my airbags till in the morning, so I guess today I'll get oil change. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I go on vacation. And I take a truck to a shop over here, just to the west of Houston. And I've got, I call John and I say, I've got these air leaks. Well, the airbags are down. It's like, so we decided I dropped it, and, you know, the airbags, all the air is leaking out at night. And uh, I cleaned it off and looked underneath. I found a couple air leaks here and there. I can hear air going through the dash. So I'm like, okay, I'll be off for a week. So a week ago, from this morning i checked it in and i said i didn't say i'm going out i said i'll be gone a few days because every time i've told the shop i'm going to go out of town i'll be back on this day they wait until the last minute to work on it and then i end up with a delay well i didn't say that this time but same thing happened i called yesterday from california and i'm like so we're gonna be done tomorrow afternoon well we're waiting on the airbags we're waiting on this and that okay so i gave him this morning i said we're gonna be done well we're waiting on the parts i said by the way how much for an airbag Oh, they're three fifty. I'm like three fifty. I'm like what? So I call Paul and I'm like, "What'd you pay for airbags?" He's like, "Like one fifty six or something like that." And so I call Freightliner and College Station because the Houston Freightliner sucks. And I got the part number and all. I called around. Finally, Plate Pride. I told them, "Yeah, I got an account there." And they said, "Well, we got a Continental for three hundred. I'm like, "You don't have an aftermarket?" Oh, yeah, we do for one fifty six. We have it here at nine o'clock in the morning. Good. So I had to, I just called him back. I said, I found some, I matched them up and I said, I'll bring them to you. 
And because it's like, it's like they didn't want to deal. And it really pissed me off because I thought this was a really good shop. And like, I'm finding out it's like, why do I have to go do all this work? And so I guess I will probably just next time just drive up and see Todd at Redneck up there because I've been to him before. But it's like, you know, when something is, if, there, if it's a part that has to be replaced, like there's a part inside the dash, it's $500 that's been causing the leaks and all like that. I understand that that's proprietary, whatever, but you know, an airbag, it's like, I don't know. Am I wrong? Let me tell you, let me tell you one rule to never tell a mechanic. Okay. Never tell them no hurry. Yeah. You got it for a week. Because yeah. There's always other stuff that needs done. Somebody else will pull in and they'll think, oh, I'll fix this guy's problem in an hour and it takes four hours and now half a day's gone. So never, ever, ever tell someone. And when I was a yeah. one man operation, a guy gave me a turbocharger. He said, no hurry. I'm a one man band. That turbocharger yeah. went under the bench. And I think yeah. it was six months later, he called me and he was in a panic. He needed that turbo. And that was the, no, hold on a sec. We're experiencing radio silence here. Maybe I should do a little song and dance. Bruce, Bruce has to go get his Amazon. Yeah, I, 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 I rethought it. I, I, I'm just going to do the dance part. I'm not going to sing. I would chase everybody away. So I, I, I'm dancing. Bruce has got to go get his Amazon trucks in. <laughs> hey, Bruce. You know, I got this mini gold, mini golden doodle. I didn't realize when he's two thirds poodle that he was a. He was a great beige hunter, man. This, this little guy loves to hunt. He hunts everything. So there you go. And he can see out the windows. So back to this. Uh, hey, hey, this guy on. left me this turbo. I had a. Was that was that your weekly delivery of monkey brittle and nut butter? <laughs> no, I, I did have the uh, cinnamon maple. Oh. Almond butter on oh. my celery this morning, <laughs> and uh, it's just too good. It's an experience. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Yeah, I uh, I was eating monkey brittle uh, a week or two ago, and during the show, and several people had called the shop <laughs> say they could tell I was eating. <laughs> so, <laughs> I I won't do that now. So anyway, the day my son, my firstborn son, was born. I had to go back in the shop and build this turbo. And that was a hard thing to do. And I, from that point on, I said, don't ever tell me no hurry because you always have so much other stuff to do. And then there was a guy who had a 29, 429 Ford, one of those cross bolt main bearing caps. He took it to our local speed shop, BNR Speed Supply, and he told him, rebuild this whenever you get a chance, no hurry. You know, six or eight years later, that engine was still sitting there. <laughs> and Chuck Denunzio, great guy, the owner, he said, yeah, he never should have told me no hurry because, you know, the next guy's coming in and the next guy. So never tell the mechanic that. Yeah, learn the, learn Always, the hard way. It's like. Yeah. If you're going to be gone for a week and you're dropping off money, tell him you'll be back Wednesday. Yeah. And then if he calls to say, some, I guess say something came up, it's like, you know, you try to be nice. It's like, okay, I'm going to schedule it in like I do with you all or whatever. But it's like, hey, I'm going to bring this by on this date here. Okay, good. And then it's like, okay, so I dropped it off last Monday. And it was like, I think he called me 
Thursday morning or Friday. And it was like, because I lost track of time. I'm out in California with my daughter running around the state. And it's like, I lost track of time. Then he called. I, to be honest with you, I forgot about it. Because it's like, I was just like, really, this is the first week off I've had to do nothing in a long time. And so I really forgot about, you know, the fact that it's in the shop and all like that. I really just wanted to get away from everything. Then he called and then I'm like, I lost track of what day it was. And, and so I'm, I remembered I got a call Monday morning to find out we're going to be good to go on this day here. And then it was like, well, you know, we're having trouble with the parts. I'm thinking, what parts? So the airbags. I'm like, so I'll get back. And I, I said, by the way, what do they cost? $350. And I'm like, uh, last time I bought an airbag, it wasn't $350. And it's like, I'm like, it's just an airbag. And so I made several phone calls around Houston. Finally, Fleet Pride said, yeah, we got them from 156 sold. I'll be there at nine o'clock in the morning to pick them up when you get them from Dallas. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's just the fact of learning this, dealing with people. And it's like a shop I wanted to build a relationship with. But when it's like, you know, and I think they're a good shop. I think they're well-meaning. I think they're, they do good work. But it's the little things that I'm like, you know, I mean, and I asked, he, I said, did you call Fleet Pride? So I asked Kevin's favorite question. No, I said, why not? Well, went into a deal. I said, you know what? I'll call Fleet Pride. So I called several of them. I called, I uh, called this car hauler shop down in Florida. I said, what do you do? What about, what should I pay for an airbag on a 4,900 Lomax? Uh, one, one, 126 to 200. That's what we look at. And told me there's one they use down there that's a, a shop, a, a store down there. They got one in Oklahoma and here in Texas. And I called them and he told me, he said, we don't have call this and that. So I called around and started asking and I finally settled on, you know, 156. And it's just, you know, it's doing your homework. And it's like, I didn't really do my homework to begin with with this because I made, I don't want to say I made the mistake of being too trusting, but it's like, you know, when you build a relationship, you don't want to come across as a cheapskate. They're in it to make money. But then again, it's like you want to get a good price on something, you know? So, yeah, you want you a know, fair price. I, I wanted a fair, fair price. price. I don't want to pay you want great service and a fair price. Yeah, I, I didn't want to pay $1,400 for airbags. I mean, yeah. it's a freaking airbag. If it goes out tomorrow, now, you know. Now I know I mean, who, who's. Nine of who we're talking to. So, <laughs> yeah. Western Star Call or friend of Paul's. Yeah. Yeah. We talked yeah, to Mark, Louisville. Yeah. 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 I mentioned Louisville, going to your shop several times, been there, went there recently, a couple months ago. Got, you know, yeah. to get the damper changed and all like that. I, I mean, it's like, I, I believe in the product. It's like the way Kevin talks, you, your product, David counts. You know, uh, uh, MD alignment. I mean, again, every time I talk to, to Kevin, I say, I sound like a race car driver up here plugging everybody because <laughs> I use you all. That, and you, but it's like when you need an airbag, you can't go to Pittsburgh to get a freaking airbag. So hey, you just gave me an idea. All right. You know. we, we should take all these great companies that we partner with. Uh, we should have our design team design a wrap like a NASCAR style wrap and we should sell the wrap for trucks. Let's wrap everybody's truck like a NASCAR. I love that. You lost it might be hard to do on a car hauler. It might be a little you tough. Why do, we want, yeah. why do we want to wrap a truck? Like a NASCAR with all the sponsors. To advertise. Oh, oh, oh like, wow. like a race I car. Got you. Yeah. Like, like a race car. Yeah. Let everybody know yeah. where the really good shops are. 
and products and things that work. Yeah, that's why yeah. I yeah, I, give you're, credit to, I give credit to other shops whenever I know of good ones or someone that's helped us. Yeah, it's like, true. It's like you know, yeah. and it's like I, I was using this other shop here in Houston and bought before Thanksgiving to go get an oil change or whatever. And I I, I took a picture of this valve. And the guy has experience with car haulers. So he used to work for this company in Houston. It's a car hauling company. And I took a picture of this valve on the trailer. I said, I need this valve replaced. It's leaking. And this was a week before Thanksgiving, the whole week before. It was like the Thursday before. I said, I'm going to need this valve. I'll be there on Tuesday, mo- Tuesday morning. You'll have a Tuesday, Wednesday. I'm going out of town. Well, he extended it into the holiday because, again, I didn't say, I need it exactly at this date. And I get back on that Monday morning, turn in my rental car, and go over there. Oh, yeah, we got to wait. We, we got to wait on that, that valve. Dude, I told you the valve a week ago that I needed it. Sent you a picture of it. It's a $25 valve from Fleet Pride who was closed during the holidays, which caught a waste of money waiting on a $25 valve. that I'm like, and that was like, that wasn't the straw that broke the camel's back. The straw that broke the camel's back was them screwing me over on a hydraulic hose that I busted. And it's like, I finally had this call down to Florida. I said, he said, they said, well, get the hose, hook it up, run it alongside, zip tie it on the trailer, get here when you can. And that's what I did. And they sent me this ridiculous price and all. And it's like, I'm like, you were going to do two days to put a freaking hose on a truck that should take three hours. So you that know, was the yeah. camel's back with them. On my T600 Kenworth, my first trip through Flagstaff, I had a leak. And that piece of hose was uh, 10 or 12 feet long. I think it was number eight strata flex. And I got hit with a bill of like $380. This is in 1998. I said, well, that'll never happen again. And once a year, I got under that truck and pressure washed it. And I checked hose after hose to make sure that I didn't get nailed like that. Oh, go. by the way, uh, Mike Thompson, the our catalyst dealer in Indianapolis, plus he bought the engine that we built at the CMC. His engine, transmission, and differentials all run within... 10 degrees of each other, averaging around 200 degrees, and he does not have a transmission cooler. Well, we'll so. we'll we'll, uh, we'll let him explain that to us. Good morning, Mike. Hey, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Speaking of deputy, when you talk about people, they show up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, when I'm, when I'm empty, I'm right now empty, coming up 70, uh, going to the turnpike, and my water temperature runs uh, about... 185 or about 175 my uh, oil temperature is running about 185 and my rear ends running about 125 uh, transmission will be a, about what my oil temperature is all the time i shoot that with a gun when i get out and check it but the other day i was heavy or at 80,000 pounds coming up 77 over those mountains and it was hot out everything was running transmission was running 225 when i got to the top of the hill uh, everything else was running about 220, uh, and my rear ends run right about 200. So now, uh, so those that's, that with no, that's with no oil cooler. Yeah, I was just thinking about that Prepare. number. If we've got a transmission that you know, in worst case scenario, is getting up at that 220 range, we would want to be careful about trying to run it any hotter. I mean, I, I don't, you know, 220 doesn't well, bother me, but I, I'm not sure that I'd want to run much hotter than that. Now, on the other hand, we have this guy saying his was running one something, low 100s. Maybe there is room for improvement yeah. there, yeah. 
Well, I was I was worried about my rear end, and there was a guy sitting there, heavy haul guy, and he was sitting there, and uh, I I asked him uh, what his rear ends were running, and he said, well, I I just stopped to cool them down, but he he said they're down to two thirty now. They were running two fifty, and I figured, what's the difference between a rear end and a transmission? You know, I just thought of something. You know, it's just gears. This this may be the only group of guys that talk about their rear ends more than women do. Right. <laughs> by, by the way, I, I want to say something about Mike that's on the phone right now for people that don't know him. He's a retired United Airline pilot, Continental to United Airline, and I think he's used to looking at some gauges maybe. What? What kind of plane did you fly? Was it a seven what? Oh, I've flown just about every Boeing there was, but seven twenty sevens, all the seven thirty sevens, the MD eighties, DC nines, seven fifty seven, seven sixty seven. So, and you were a stunt pilot, and you were trained by who? Oh, uh, Chip. Um, yeah, I can't think of his last name now. Um, when people go to the air show and yeah, they see those. Yeah. Those bi-wing planes that are being thrown through yeah. the air, you've done yeah. that. I was going to say one other thing. You know, I, I I do that. I always say the only people that work on my truck is Pittsburgh Power, but I go in there and tell them I'm in, I'm in no hurry. And, you know, then I buy a day, you know, I buy pizza for everybody for the day, and they get their pizza, and then they finally figure out I'm bullshitting so much. They just say, we got to get this guy out of here. I'm not getting any work done unless we get him out of here. <laughs> Holding everybody up. <laughs> so anyway, I so, so I just got a, a text on this. The uh, all the new ice shift transmissions are actually optimized uh, to run at high temperatures, especially in cold weather. So this is kind of what I was talking about earlier is that there there could be gains here, but when you've got one truck that's running hot, one truck that's running cold, some have cooler, some don't. It, there's no good management system on trucks for that temperature. It's like nobody's ever really paid any attention to it. Um, and it seemed to me like trying to manage that temperature on old trucks, I don't know if that's worth it or not. If we could come up with some simple ways and, and know we're still protected on the, the top side, uh, it might be worth it. But it is happening on the newer modern transmissions. I You know, 225 to me, I... I just, that to me doesn't seem too bad. I, what is no, oil I break down at 400? And, it, it's, anyhow. it's way, way you know? up there. Yeah, the oil is never our concern. It would be some other component in the transmission. And I don't know what it would be. Like, what's the weak point in there yeah. when it comes to heat? But I, 220 yeah. doesn't sound bad at all. I, you know, I, I, I don't know what those numbers are. We could probably pay attention to what these new you know, the eye shift runs at, uh, as, um, I would think that if they're going through the trouble to manage this temperature, they're running it up there. Uh, I guess the claim is 2% mechanical efficiency. That That's that's measurable now. Well, there may be seals or something. I don't know. Yeah, that's, I, don't, uh, I don't see anything with the gears and the metal. Right. I'm wondering what is the, the temperature that we can safely run those at? Yeah, I had a cooler on there. It was just the one sitting down below the transmission. Uh, but all they did was just get clogged up and wasn't doing anything, and I, I just took it off. 
and I haven't really noticed any difference, you know? Yeah. You know, it, it, it's kind of like the, the six by two, you know, if we did the, you know, backyard conversion, you, you didn't get all the benefits. It wasn't as efficient as it could be, but we were able to prove a concept and, and obviously the industry, you know, has moved in that direction. Well, we'll probably see more stuff like this, managing those fluid temperatures, but that's a key. You've got to have a system that manages them. The, um, I, I, you know, I got the lift axle and my temperature just doubled, basically doubled from when I had two differentials to when I went to yeah. six by two and, back and, there. And maybe that's which, part of which, the efficiency gain. You know, we weren't even thinking about that. And yeah, I don't know. As far as I know, we've had yeah. lots of people that have been doing that for over 10 years now, and we didn't have a rash of failures on those axles or the housings. I've never, I've never had a failure. I've had, a, I've had the, um, the uh, front seal go out, but I figured out when they, they didn't get the driveline angle correct with the hanger, the carrier bearing where they put the hanger when they uh, took the differential out. And when I finally got that adjusted right, that all went away. I was putting yeah. too much bind on that back. You know, I, I, I converted enough tandem axles to just true single axles. And all I was doing was taking the forward axle and the power divider out and using the rear axle, which is a lightweight axle. Those are 20,000 yeah. pound differentials. Yeah. I did several of them early yeah, on in the life of the truck, like under 100,000 miles and ran all of those trucks to 1.2, 1.3. And those lightweight differentials held up just fine. And they did run hot. Yeah, I probably got over a million. I probably, yeah, I probably got over a million on this differential. And it's light. It's got the what the L on it or whatever. It's a light. And I also run two-inch offsets on mine, and I don't have any tire wear on mine either. Yeah, yeah. Good signs. So, All right. Two-inch offset gonna, on what? The, uh, the, wait, the, the wide in- single rim, Bruce. Oh, okay. So on the... Mike's still on? No, I just... Uh, we were going to move on. We've got calls piling up. On the, on the wide singles, there are rims that are two-inch... Technically, we've always used the word offset. We should use the word outset. That's the technical term they use for these. It sets the edge of that wheel out another two inches. Okay. And it was designed to make up the difference to a set of tandems. It puts the edge of that wide single out where the edge of a tandem would be. Mm -hmm. But on a lot of... A lot of trucks, we found that that allowed that axle to flex too much and we would get inside tire wear. So we would go to a zero outset and then you'd have a, a narrower track on the outside of the wheels. And then we also found you could take a two inch outset, flip it around the other way, and it became like a three quarter outset. And that works too. I want to say that. Uh... For some owner-operators, if you want to take some time off in the winter and go to Arizona, Mike Thompson has a home down there, and he got into exotic UTVs. He bought a stock one. I think it was a Razor. I don't know if it was a Razor or a Bombardier. And then he saw these exotic ones at, I don't know, 30 inches of ground clearance or something, and they traded that his stock went in and bought that and they go on seven, 800 mile rides through the desert. I don't know if he's in Yuma or South of Phoenix, but if you ever want to talk to Mike Thompson, he look in our 
dealer list on our website for the one in Indianapolis, and you can call him. His wife's name is Beth, and you can talk to Mike whether you want to talk airplanes, trucks, or uh, meeting him in Arizona in the winter on some of these exotic rides. Very interesting guy. Bruce, we saw a couple of those crazy exotic, uh, whatever you want to call them in Moab. Remember some of those? Remember that club we we were following right. for a little while there? Yeah, they had some crazy stuff. Yeah. Now, now though, they have them up as high as eighty thousand so. <laughs> dollars. Uh, <laughs> I saw one in uh, the, in the Skidoo Players dealership in Ogden, Utah. Mike Lane takes me in there, and, and I said, "Who would buy that?" He said, "We sell a few of them for eighty thousand dollars." <laughs> oh, crazy stuff! All right, let's get to some more calls because they keep piling up on us. Let's go to Missouri. Tom, welcome. Yeah. Hey, uh, good morning or afternoon, gentlemen. I, um, uh, oh, speaking of airplanes, I was driving through Oshkosh, Wisconsin yesterday. They must have, uh, I don't know why they started an air show on Monday and what a terrible day to do it. Cause all the smoke was hanging out, but, uh, they must have had a couple hundred thousand people, uh, there for whatever air show they're having. It's isn't, crazy. Isn't Oshkosh- I've got a guy that's testing the, like, I got a guy that's testing the catalyst, and he called me yesterday. He said, I'm taking my plane to Oshkosh. Can I put the catalyst in it? <laughs> so I said, uh, no, nah, we prefer you not to because uh, I don't know your compression ratio and things like that. But uh, we do have a, another guy that is using it in a small plane. But, yeah, there's a big air show going on in Oshkosh, and then uh, next weekend there's another one somewhere, and I just learned that yesterday. Yeah, Oshkosh yeah, no, is like one of the biggest all, in I the mean, country. It was a lot of it? people. Yeah, they have to be. I yeah, mean, they were parked. They were parked in the um, on the far, you know, the, on the grass. They were parked on the grass and then the, on the farm. It was, it was, it was insane. Um, what what I call you? Oh, um. Hey, wait a minute. I, I I'm gonna do something here. I, I, I don't get to do this often. I have breaking news. Anybody excited? Oh wow! Yeah, I know. I don't do this very often. Yes. Um, I'm reporting on this because I've been talking about it so much. Um, UPS and the Teamsters have reached a tentative deal. Ah. So it looks like we might be avoiding the UPS strike. So we'll see. Interesting. It looks like Yellow is um, in agreement as well. Well. It doesn't look like Yellow is going on strike. Yeah, but let's talk about it. If UPS has a deal... It's done. It's over. We won't have to think about this for another four years or whatever it is. Once UPS has a deal, everybody goes back to work. We'll be fine. The whole thing with yellow doesn't make any sense whatsoever. All that happened was the Teamsters, yellow owed the Teamsters a $50 million payment for pensions and health insurance. And yellow defaulted on the payment. So at that point, the Teamsters said, if you don't make the payment, we'll go out on strike. That would have been the thing that pushed them right over the edge. But for some reason, the Teamsters backed off and said, not only will we not go on strike, we're going to extend coverage for everybody, even though we didn't get the money. And the odd thing is, I don't know why they would bother. Yellow is not going to survive. They can't. I talked to one small terminal. A guy said they normally have 400 freight bills a shift. He said they had 37 this morning. There's no freight in their system left to move, and nobody wants to put freight into their system. 
So they're sending guys home. Nobody's working because there's no freight. They they can't last a week or two. I mean, they're out of money. So yellow, I think, is just done. I don't know why they bothered to to cut this little deal that might give them a couple extra weeks. But uh, once UPS has a deal and this is a tentative deal, they'll go back to work and we'll be done with that part of it. You, you know, you know. Uh, let me jump in there. The, I I feel so bad. I saw a thing on uh, Twitter where a guy that had worked for Yellow for thirty years, thirty two years, something like that. Um, and then the uh, one of the union reps comes in and says, "Yeah, you you know, you, you looks like you're not going to get your pension." And I mean, can, could you imagine? Could, could you imagine that work for a company for 30 years expecting to get your pension and whatnot, your, your medical and all, all that in your retirement. And, uh, then they just take a crap on you like that. I, I, you know, I, I, that's why I feel bad for, I don't feel bad for yellow at all. You know, yellow, they were running around once they got that stimulus money or, or you know, the government money, they were running around, uh, uh, brand new trucks for, you know, the last couple of years. Uh, what a mismanaged, uh, what a joke. You know, I, I, I talked about way, way back when, when, you know, seminars on tape were big, all the Nightingale Conan stuff. Bruce, you, you'd been through a lot of that stuff back then, right? You and I have talked about it. I had power doors filled with cassettes. Yeah, me too. And one of the best pieces of advice I got from one of those programs, and it was actually um, Anthony Robbins, he said, do not trust the most important things to your life to somebody else. And what he meant was things that if something is really important to you, your money, your health, your business, do not trust those things to somebody else. You, you, you can't just blindly hand your money over to an investment advisor. You can't blindly hand your health over to a doctor. I, it, you've got to do the hard work and, and learn enough about those things that you have some control over them. And it, when I heard that, I, I decided I was going to learn as much about my own money, my own business, and my own health as I could. And I wasn't going to trust somebody else. And now I, I guess people trust me for that advice, but I tell them all the time, you should really go learn this stuff yourself. Yeah, I still feel sorry for the guy, though. I, I do, too, um, but the reality yeah. is this is what happens when you trust somebody else for things that are really important. They can fail you, and if you put all of your trust in them, you may not have a way to fix it. So I, I, I'm not blaming anybody. Yeah. I'm just trying to use it as a way to point things out to other people. Don't end up like this. Don't blindly believe somebody well, else is going to take care of the important stuff for you. That's why I tell owner operators that say they want to retire at 62 or 65 and sell their truck and be done. I say, don't do it. Detail it, change all the fluids, put it away somewhere, cover it up with a bunch of sheets and go about your retirement and see how many weeks you last because you get bored and um, you can run out of money. Keep that truck. Yeah, I'm going to go. Keep the truck and uh, just work half time. Just work part time in the summer. Take the winters off. Go down to Arizona yeah. and ride UTVs with Mike. You know, um, or snowmobiles with you, Bruce. Yeah, or come snowmobiling with us. But don't give up your way of making an income. And I tell mechanics the same thing. They're going to retire and they want to sell their toolbox. Are you crazy? The thing that made your living possible. You don't never get rid of your toolbox. 
Hey, hey. Um, uh, speaking of toolboxes, and I have one more question after this: Is when are you going to? Um, have you ever, have you ever even considered opening up an, another shop on the on the West Coast uh, or Colorado, Bruce? Um, I'm too old now, but uh, we we talked yeah, about it. We, we yeah, I'm too old. We uh, uh, we had another one going, and the guy wasn't very honest. And we tried two other shops, and. The one guy used to work at TA, and he became a he was a thief at TA. I, I I got to know him. I thought he'd be okay, and turns out he wasn't. And uh, the other guy wasn't so good either, and he was in Northern California log hauler. So uh, it, yeah, it's just that's, that's too you gotta bad find because, good yeah. honest. And where where do you find mechanics today? Where do you find good honest people? So it's just well, I don't thing. know where you find good honest people is uh, in the in the in the truck business. Uh, it sounds like MD alignment, Pittsburgh Tower, and Kevin Rutherford to me, and a lot of people that call in. But um, speaking of that, Kevin, uh, the 2016 Freightliner Cascadia Evolution DD15, 800,000 miles about, uh, with the 241 rear, uh, 25 grand. What, what's your thoughts? And, and Bruce, what, what could go wrong with that except for the one box? The one box is probably your biggest concern, uh, so I would budget for that. Uh, other than that, that's a very well spec truck at a really reasonable price, and there's not a whole lot that can yeah. go wrong. Uh, that that it, those how are, many miles? Uh, Eight hundred thousand. Eight eight hundred. Those are the kind of bargains I was begging people a year ago to wait for. They're coming. Uh, I don't make a lot of predictions, but I was pretty sure I was right on that one. Uh, those are the kind of trucks you can now go out and buy and make an awful lot of money with. Yeah, okay, okay. And then, uh, oh, the stupid lights. I, I don't even like driving in the wintertime now because of the it gets dark so early. And I don't, I'll get up early in the morning and I'll drive until it gets dark. But I... I, man, I tell you what, this is out of hand. It's, I, I've got these I, big old ugly yellow glasses that, you know, cover <laughs> half my face. Right? Still, man. <laughs> I don't know what to do about this. Hey, and I had to, it's the craziest thing because then I'll look at the lights. I'll go, you son of a bitch. You know what I mean? That's why I keep, I keep my gun in the I keep my gun in the I keep my gun out of reach. Yeah. Gun all, like, I, oh my god, it's horrible. I, I was part of the problem. I like bright lights too. Every time they came out with a new light bulb that was better, I would switch over. But I I, I give now. We've gone too far. We need to back off the whole bright light thing. Enough is enough. God, terrible. All right, gentlemen, that's all I have. Thank you very much for everything. All right, thanks for the call. We're opening a can of worms talking about headlights there, huh? I know, I know. Let's go to uh, Georgia. Austin, welcome to the program. How's it going, guys? Good. What can we help you with today? I, I, I got a few temperature questions. Um, I got a Hewitt Industry gauges I bought from Pittsburgh Power on my parometer, and uh, it started acting up, and I, I don't know anything about them. It, Sometimes it'll go up 600, sometimes it stays at two. Now it's laying on zero. What's the first thing to look at on them? So first thing I would do is unplug it from the back of the gauge, plug it back in, make sure the connection's good there. Uh, look at the wires. So the wires plug into a little connection. Make sure we don't have a loose wire. Maybe it might be a bad lead wire. Uh, and then at, if that's all okay, 
the next step would be to check at the thermocouple uh, where it's connected. You know, cut the heat shrink and make sure it's no issues there. If it's still acting up, generally the probe, if it goes bad, it will just not work altogether. If it's erratic, it could be a lead wire or a head. We can test them. We actually have test equipment. and Maybe a local shop might have that equipment to test them. And you can determine if it's the lead wire or the head that might be giving us issues. We have very little trouble with that. You know, it is a gauge. It, it, anything could happen to it. But check the connection first, and especially the plug-in that goes into the gauge itself. Okay. Don't uh, If I remember right, don't know that all plugs in the same. Your little bitty uh, nuts and screws are on your lead wire that hooks to your thermocouple, correct? Correct. Correct. Okay. Uh, on my transmission, I had to, it, like last summer, I was coming out of San Antonio with cattle. I was heavy. And it was running hot. I mean, I, I was getting nervous. It was getting up to like the 250 degrees, but it was 105 degrees outside. And that was in September of last year. And then in March of this year, I was going up Mont Eagle and I chipped a tooth on the, on the high gear. I don't know if that heat had anything to do with that, but it could have, I guess. I would think a broken tooth would simply just be metal fatigue. This mantle fatigue got this truck's a glider. Yeah. We, we, go ahead. You know, I mean, uh, at what temperature, you know, metal can take without any problems. I mean, look what goes on in the cylinder head and the cylinder kits. And, you know, even if the oil is running hot, that's really not hot for a, a metal part. So I, I think that's what I was going Yeah. I don't uh, think it was a heat related issue. Right. And my last um, temperature question. I got 834,000 on this Caterpillar with the uh, W900 with the radiator. And this truck always used to run between 190 and 205. But now I'm catching myself. It's getting up to 208, kicking the fan on it. I think they kick on at 218. Uh, would that just be from the age of the radiator? Yes. So what happens on, on radiators, uh, besides years ago, we would have the insides plug up because of poor antifreeze. The antifreeze are a lot better. But generally what we see now is your fins are attached to the tube. So the coolant uh, goes through the tubes, the heat's pulled out to the fins, and then the air cools the fins. The fins are no longer attached to the tubes, and you lose it, that ability to pull the heat away from stuff. And that's from you know, the salt and, and shit they put in the roads in the wintertime. So it sounds like you simply need a, a radiator. And we have really good four-row radiators that help keep the temperature down. All right. So that's something I should be looking into in the near future. I mean, the, the fan will still pull it down, but that 800 and something thousand, that's getting to be just preventative maintenance, throw a radiator in it. Yeah. Hey, not the near future. Not the near future. The future is right now. Right now, order it. To, just call our parts department, get the high, large capacity radiator for that W9, and your problems will be over. It'll be a dimpled tube. It'll have 16 fins per inch versus 14, and it'll have more tubes than any other radiator you can buy. Gotcha. All right. I will get that done. Okay. That's all I need, guys. All right. Thanks for the thanks, call. Thanks a lot. You're welcome. Let's go to... Iowa this time. Matt, welcome. Good morning, gentlemen. What's on your uh, mind today? So back in the beginning, Bruce, you opened with a tri-drive. Yes. You said it was a 69,000-pound rear end. That's what they so told me, yes. 
Yeah, 23,000 pound axle. 23 times 3 is 69. So that, that's a standard axle. Hmm. It's just because you got three of them, it's, you know, sounds like more, but that's just one more axle. So in other words, if you had a 46, you'd have two 23s. Right. Correct. And then okay. I, when All I right, talked so. about earlier, if you, well, you could also have two 20s which is more common 20. in an over-the-road truck, which gives you 40. And that's what I talked about right. earlier with when I would take out an axle and you would only end up with then 20,000 pounds. But it handled, you know, regular yep. weight just fine for a million miles. Yep. And um, so the- this, could make a, this could make a serious dump truck then. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, them tri-drives... You know, they, they use put, them up, more up in Canada yeah. in the oil fields and logging and the full lockers. They, they can they can go through a lot. Yeah. So with the tri drive and being in Arkansas, if he had an extra large dump body built, he might be able to carry. Is it seventy three two eighty? They're allowed to have with a standard triaxle dump. Well, you're getting to the state issues now because when you're talking about local work and getting off of the interstate, you're going to look more at state rules than federal rules. Yeah, mm-hmm. you, so I don't know. Some states like we've got out here, you see the crazy second dump trailer is, you know, 30 feet behind the truck. You got this huge gap and this big, long you know, frame connecting that, that dump and that's the bridge laws and mm-hmm. the length laws, but it, you're right. You get some weird stuff in the States. Whereas when you go to Florida and all they care about are axle weights. You'll see a, a, a well, tandem with a tag. So a four axle truck with a steer axle right. and they're running 80,000. Right. Yeah. 20,000 on, or and they're or, short, right? Really short. Yeah. Yeah. Matt, thanks for calling and reminding me. I, I totally forgot all about that. You have to add the weight of each axle to come up with the total like that. Oh. Oh, you, um, sometimes you just forget things. <laughs> well, we forget I, things I can blame, even at younger ages, too. <laughs> I can blame it on age. Yeah. <laughs> so, if you guys, um, uh, to, the, to the listening people, sometimes you'll hear me, uh, I'll forget a word or something and Pete knows it right away. So he just fills it right in. And I appreciate that. (laughs) And I do that for Kevin all the time too. Unfortunately, (laughs) he doesn't pay attention to it. His text messages as often on the air as he used to because he wanders around too much now. Well, two reasons. One, I wander around and I don't have commercials. That's when I used to be able to check all the, you know, the problem is I can get, messages in too many places. It could be a straight text message. It could be an email. It could be a message on Twitter. It could be a message on the tribe site. And people are saying like, why, why weren't you paying attention to my message? Because there's 37 places I have to check to find them all. And I don't have breaks anymore. So I never get a chance to check. Uh, So the main reason for my call, I'm going to just echo a lot what uh, Mike said earlier with transmission temperatures. Um, so my Peterbilt had the water to oil cooler, and I did have that problem, you know, just, just like your regular oil cooler on the engine. It's oil and water. 
And at some point, it started leaking, and I got antifreeze in my transmission. <sighs> I don't know if that happened twice, but I would say, you know, every million miles, you'd want to change that. Because I want to say I did it twice, and I had that truck for 2.25 million. So, you know, it, they last a long time, but that is an issue with the water yeah. cooler. Um, this truck here, I had an air cooler out. But when it started leaking, I just disconnected it. Really, I don't see a need for them anymore. My truck runs right around that 180, or my transmission runs right around that 180, 200, depending upon the outside temperature and weight. When I had the 308 rear ends and ran in 12th gear, it was running around 300 most of the time. But when I did wow. the ax okay. rear axle change and dropped it down to 11th, in the direct, I dropped 50 degrees in the transmission. Huh. So I'm wondering, how is this How is this transmission, the original call that started this, running so cool? It almost doesn't even make sense. How the, the ambient temperature in most parts of the country is hotter than that right now. Yeah, well, it could be off a little bit, you know, being old enough. Yeah, that that needs that. that 100, 125, like I said, that's almost the ambient temperature. And, you know, with the air cooler, I mean, you, you should be running cooler than what I am. But, I, yeah, I just don't see it as necessary. And I, I, I thought of his idea. I was going to do that at one point in time to just shut it off in the winter. Just put two T's on the lines and a shutoff in between the lines. Yeah. So you could basically bypass the cooler, but just never got around to it. All right. What else you got? Yeah. Uh, well, the one other thing, the guy was talking about the oil change in, in automobiles at 10,000 miles. That is the recommended on our 2016 uh, Jeep Grand Cherokee. Now, that does have a diesel in it. It's a three-liter diesel. I think it's the same I, engine as you have, Bruce, in your pickup. I think I could go back 30 years now, maybe even a little longer than that. When Mobile One first came out as really the first synthetic other than, um, shoot, what's the big one that's been around forever that everybody's a dealer? Uh, oh, Amsoil. Yeah, Amsoil may have been around longer. I don't know. But I, I remember when Mobile One came out, I started using Mobile One in all my cars. And at some point, I just stopped even tracking mileage at all. And I would just change my oil once a year on my cars. Didn't even pay attention to the mileage. I would just do it around Christmas. I, I still kind of do that somewhat, although my cars today, I just do whatever schedule they recommend and just take it back to them and let them do it anymore. But I, it, it's been at least 30 years that I just stopped tracking mileage on my cars. I just changed my oil once a year. I'm yep. sure there were times well, yeah, I went over 10,000 miles. It just tells you on the dash, it pops up, you know, you're due for an oil change. So you don't have to write anything down anymore, which Angie's probably screaming <laughs> right now because her Jeep is overdue. <laughs> she's been telling me for like four weeks that the Jeep says it needs to be changed. Yeah, there you go. There, there. Hey, hey, Matt, there is a way to turn that off, you know, and it's easier than changing the oil. Oh, yeah, you just go and reset it. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> uh. uh. Yeah, I, I, I think as a whole – the trucking industry, the auto industry, I think that we throw away a lot of usable oil. I really do. 
Yep. Well, speaking of that, I just pulled an oil sample this weekend and uh, sent it in. I have 507,000 miles on my oil. Jeez. Wow. Now, just to put some perspective into that, I have an older 99 engine. I use a gallon about every eight to 9,000 miles. Yep. So every 80, 90,000 miles, I've changed the oil. Yeah. So that's Which is one a great of the system. That lasts so long is I'm, I'm adding enough makeup oil to keep it fresh. Yeah. Which is, and you're filtering it and you're sampling What's your, it. Yep. What's your silicon reading? Oh, it's typically in the six or seven. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I got three. And your here. your iron? Uh, that is up. Let what me guess. Run the catalyst. Let me guess. I'm gonna say it's probably around one twenty. Somewhere in there, yeah, right. Usually around one something. Yeah, one twenty to one forty. It bounces up and down a little bit. How about how about aluminum and copper and lead? They're all in the normal ranges, which those uh, numbers are so low. Under 10, under 5. Into, yeah. yeah, all under 10. Yeah. Most You've got a half a million one. miles on. You haven't changed oil for a half a million miles. Nope. Not since I put injectors in. Hey, Bruce. And are you running the OPS? Yep. And how often do you change the OPS filter? 25,000. And what about the full flow? 50. Every other time. Wow. And what about your fuel filter? How often do you change the fuel filter? So I've got the fast, and then I still have the cat on the side of the block. So I've actually got okay. three fuel filters. Okay. I run them all 50,000, but they're staggered. So I'm changing one about every 16,000, 17,000. Okay. One, the fastest, and the one's a water separator. The yep. one on the left is the fuel filter. So that gets changed... Every, every thirty-two, 000. every fifty thousand. Wow! Yep. I'm shocked. The hey. reason I do that is it's my grease cycle too. When I lube the truck, I change a fuel filter on the same schedule. So that's you a, do a sixteen thousand mile lube. Yep, that's a good schedule. Just on the drive line because I've got the the uh, auto lube. I'm drawing a blank on the name right now, but auto lube on is the it, rest of the truck. Is it the one I always change so in all you know? Yep. Oh, uh, boy, I just drew a blank on it, too. Yeah. The company's right outside of Cleveland. Uh, yeah, I had the auto lube systems on my trucks for years. I loved them. Bruce, you know, really what, what he's doing here is similar to what Cummins had for a while. You know, he's got really good filtration with the OPS. That's really extending the life of the oil. But then burning just enough that your makeup oil keeps everything fresh. And I, I had that 350 big cam that on that cab over Astro, I had a big, I'm going to say it was almost a five gallon canister on the back of the sleeper. And you would just keep that oil canister topped off. You would just pour your oil into that canister on the back and it routed a little bit of your engine oil into the fuel system and burned it. The idea being that you would have to then keep putting in makeup oil and you didn't change the oil on that truck. Wow. Um, Is that the one from Cummins that you had, Kevin? Yeah. Yeah, that was factory from Cummins. Yeah. Yeah, that was a pretty good system. I mean, especially for a fleet, I mean, you weren't ever doing an oil change. Right. 
Right. You had a, you had a schedule to, to throw a filter on it. But other than that, all the driver had to do is keep that canister topped off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was popular years ago. Obviously, the new trucks, we can't do that. But um, the old trucks, that worked out well. Yeah. Good for the injectors. I mean, you got all no no problems with lubricity at that point. Mm-mm. No. Nope. And, and did it um, also filter that oil? Do you remember? Yeah, it did. It, I think they called Centauri. Is that what it was? Something like that. Say that again. Century Centauri or something. Yeah, like that sounds right. The, the name Centauri, I think, actually something sounds like that. Right. I a couple of them. I never really fooled them with them, but that was a long time ago. I, I would probably say, I remember reading about it. Yeah. I, I would venture to say that that was the best part of that entire truck. It was an Astro. So that, that was probably the best part of the whole truck. I know. What's that? I wouldn't Pete? recommend what I do for oil. Um, I you know, this is a- remember those cabs issues going up and down. Oh, that- didn't they only have one Ram on it? Yes, it Two? had one weak Ram. It was awful getting that cab up. The doors, the windows. Um, I, I was an expert at fixing window and door handle issues. You were constantly taking the doors apart. That that truck was such junk. Yeah, oh, it was awful. Uh, one other, might explain some of my oil consumption. Like I said, this is a 99 2WS cat. I run 10W30 oil. Oh, okay. Which isn't recommended right. for this old of an engine, but it, uh, it works fine for me. Yeah, there you go. But you will see more oil consumption. But in this case, that's not a bad thing. No, not. I'm, oh, I'd have to do some math, but I'm, I'm over 600,000 miles on this engine. Somewhere in there. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I don't. I don't complain about that oil consumption at all. No, that's a that's a really nice schedule of maintenance you got going there. Yep. All right, so, we are going so to move. move along. We're going to go to Alberta. Ben, welcome to the program. Good morning, Kevin. What's on your mind today? There, can you hear me? Yep. Yes, good morning, Kevin Bruce. Good morning, Ben. I'm going to you for a few months. Get rid of your toolbox, Bruce, but that doesn't mean that you that you do all the work yourself. Some work, uh, some situations, you let the professionals do the work. No? I will never. I will, my toolboxes will go in my hey. will. I'll never get rid of my toolboxes. <laughs> there you go. What's that? I didn't uh, get that. Sorry. Say that again. Hello? Say that again, Bruce. I didn't understand you. I will never get rid of my snap-on toolboxes. I have two of them, and they will be with me till I leave this earth, and somebody will get them in my will. Yeah. Yeah, tools are always handy, you know, always handy. Mm-hmm. But anyways, uh, I just wanted to talk about uh, preventative maintenance on a 34, uh, four and a quarter uh, Caterpillar, the B model. Mm-hmm. So what all that I've done to it is uh, change the radiator cap on the 
on the auxiliary tank and uh, torsional damper, balancer, fuel lines. Oh, uh, let's see here, what else? And I was just wondering if there's anything else that you guys would recommend. That it's like 30 years old. Eh? Every 500,000, you want to do the governor weights in the fuel pump and the weights in the advance unit on the front. Right. They're only they're only good for half a million miles. The parts are not expensive, and they're only lubricated by splash oil. And they're hardened, and they ride on a hardened washer, and they move in and out. And when you start to see possible smoke because the timing advance isn't working properly, or you're not getting your fuel power because the governor on the fuel pump's not working properly, that's when you want to start changing those those parts right there. So the flyweights? The flyweights uh, and the governor on the pump and in the timing advance. Right. Yeah, the only thing is finding somebody that knows how to do that. Uh, that's right. Charlie yeah, that's Jones, the hard part. Charlie Jones, he's in Minnesota now. He's an expert on those, and he's running about 13 different Freightliner dealerships. But uh, whether he, I'm sure he would know somebody that could help you do that. Yeah, any cat shop that deals with equipment would be more likely to have a tech that can rebuild them because there's a lot of B and C model cats in a lot of old equipment. So if you can find, uh, like in our area, it's Cleveland Brothers, uh, but if you can find a cat dealership in your area that works on equipment, they're more apt to have a guy that can uh, rebuild the timing advance and the governor on, on your pump. Right. Yeah, the only other thing that, I'm, that I forgot to mention was uh, I'm running the catalyst, but there was other there was another lubricant, lubricant that, that you mentioned that I forgot that uh, would be a good idea to run in the Lucas, fuel. Lucas injector cleaner that would give you the lubricity. Lucas, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some call it upper cylinder lube. Pete, what's it say in the bottle? Upper cylinder lube or injector cleaner? Uh, upper. I'll go look. Hold on. But all, all uh, big Cam Cummins, uh, mechanical caterpillars, none of them were designed for ultra low sulfur fuel. Right. That's why you you want to run the max mileage catalyst to let the fuel burn better because it burns 33% faster and it's a hotter, faster, cleaner burn and they eliminate 70% of the soot and carbon in the combustion chamber. But okay. the fact it that it ignites it faster. So what's it say, Pete, on the Lucas? It says uh, injector cleaner and fuel conditioner and it's upper cylinder lubricant is what it has okay. on the, the one gallon treats 400 gallon of fuel so you use a whole lot more of that than you do the catalyst because in the catalyst one gallon treats 3,200 gallons so yeah now use yeah, them both together that way it'll save the engine yeah yeah I'm gonna try and get that uh, that Lucas but I, I was going to talk about, uh, uh, oh, uh, so up up north here, it gets pretty cold, like in the winter. And the only issue that we're having with trucks that are not uh, deleted is the DEF freezes in the winter time. 
is there any solution uh, that you guys have issues with in the winter when it's minus 30 Celsius or minus 20? We have a, I know we have a, I believe it's a two and a half liter Duramax diesel um, that when the when the tank of DEF freezes, that uh, the heater actually can't keep up to warm up that uh, that DEF uh, once you start that uh, that truck. And there's more more trucks having issues with that. And I'm just wondering if there's anything or if you guys have issues with your customers. I have not heard of this problem. Have you, Pete? Yeah, when it gets really cold, but like around here, we don't see that type of temperatures very seldom for any length of time. But but it is an issue. Uh, generally, the heater takes care of it, but there are times it, it doesn't. And I'm not aware of any fix for that. Okay. The only other thing that I've heard guys say that, that works not too bad is never fill up your DEF tank all the way. Like keep it half full. And then once you get going, put uh, put warm fluid in it uh, to warm up uh, the rest of it that's in there. So are your trucks sitting outside? Uh, yes, most of the time, because there's no room inside. Most of the time they're, they're outside, yeah. You know, heat tape, put on, no, hold on, I lost you. Heat tape, if you think, there is a heat tape that looks like stainless steel wire braided hose. And uh-huh. you, you buy it in a, in a roll. I would wrap that around the tank. You got to plug it in down to 110. And then I would take a couple furniture pads and put over top of that for at night whenever the truck is parked when it's going to be that cold. Yeah, yeah, that should work. And keep it, just keep the frost out of it, eh? Because mm-hmm. that stuff freezes. You know what else? If they're sitting outside and they're in the wind, you know, when I used to live in a fifth wheel, RV in the wintertime in Colorado. A lot of people would take bales of hay and make a wall around so the air doesn't go under their fifth wheel. But even if you took some four by eight sheets of plywood and you built some walls to pull the trucks in between to keep the wind away and wrap that with that heat tape and put the furniture pads over it, I think you'd solve that problem. Yeah, definitely it should help because anything just to keep, the, yeah, the wind is bad. Once the wind starts, that, that bugger is cold. Yep. It just goes right through you. And I suppose mm-hmm. that DEF fluid. But yeah, if you don't fill the tank all the way, it's, it's a little better. Like all the way full. Well, I can't answer that one, so. Yeah. Hey, uh, build a garage. On, build a garage and heat it to fifty degrees and put the trucks in there. Yeah. Hey, on them, uh, on them, like on max five thousand mile oil changes. Uh, can you do that with with any brand of oil? Does it have to be a synthetic oil or no? That's a like we're running the OPS. Oh, I'm sorry. I was. Uh, you caught me answering a question online. Say it again. I'm just wondering, Kevin, uh, Kevin, uh, on 5,000-mile oil changes, running the OPS and sampling every 25,000, can you run? Can you do that with any brand of oil? Yes. Or does it have I, to be a synthetic? 
You know, it, it's interesting that the if you look at the auto manufacturers, when they came out with synthetic, and I even said when Mobile One came out, I started doing that once a year oil change because even the engine manufacturer said you could go longer on synthetic. Technically, that, that should have never been correct. There's nothing about synthetic that really allows it to go longer than traditional oil because nothing in oil breaks down, whether it's traditional oil or synthetic, there is no breakdown. We don't get anywhere near the kind of temperatures would require. So the reason we change oil is because it gets dirty. It doesn't break down. It doesn't stop doing its job. It just gets dirty. So synthetic has really nothing to do with extending drains, but for some reason they made us believe that. So no, any any oil with the right API classification for your engine can be used in extended drains. Running the OPS. Yep. Yeah. Or or yeah. any bypass filter, but yeah, certainly the OPS, right? So like uh, like Bruce on your guys' pickup the thirty five hundred. Do you guys have a, a bypass filter or just run the factory full flow filters? On um, my 95 Dodge, I had a bypass filter. And on my 2016, I have not installed one yet, but it uh, doesn't get very many miles on it. And it gets a once a year oil change. And the only thing it does is pull snowmobiles. So, I mean, yeah. oil is clean when I drain it. All right. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, that's all I had. Uh, appreciate it, guys. All right. Thanks for Thank the call. You. We are heading off to Texas this time. This is our final phone call on the board. So uh, we'll either wrap up after Howdy. this one or we'll get some other calls coming in. 855-950 if you still want to jump in. Paul, go ahead. Howdy. Um, I'll tell you what I just seen right there that explains a lot in this country. I'm driving south on I-45 in Texas, just south of Dallas, and I see on the front of the road, and it's like, oh, cop got himself a customer. Well, he's out there to serve today because a young male with his baggy shorts on and a T-shirt and slip-on shoes with socks, he don't know how to change a spare tire. So the cop's doing it for him. Probably a 20-something-year-old male don't know how to change a spare tire. Unbelievable. Well, did you ever see the Geico commercial? Two young guys. 15%. See the, the two young guys, they call their mom and say, we got a flat tire. So say, I'll call Geico. And the one guy, one kid is filling around. He comes up and said, is this a tire iron? <laughs> oh yeah, I remember that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I want to reach in the television and smack them. So, yeah. so um I got a real short story for you. So guy takes his truck to the shop, repair shop on the Monday morning and he said, I need this fixed, I need it in a hurry. Okay. So he calls back Monday afternoon. My truck ready? No, it's not ready yet. Okay, carry on. He calls Tuesday afternoon. My truck ready? No, it's not finished yet. Okay. So he calls Wednesday afternoon. He says, man, I'm really in a hurry. I need my truck back. But it's not finished yet. Well, just let me know when it's ready. So Thursday lunchtime, they call the guy. Your truck's ready. You can come and get it any time. Oh, I'll come and get it Monday. <laughs> <laughs> so, we've, we've seen that happen. <laughs> yeah. 
So I'm if you're in about it. Temp- Go ahead. About temperatures. I'm in Texas. It's 102 degrees ambient temperature. My coolant's running about 190. My transmission is running probably 195. The gauge does not have a red zone on it, but it does go to 300. And I have seen 230 for a high. Um, my rear ends, front rear ends running at about 185. The rear rear ends running at about 175. But when it gets to 250, it has a red line, and that's when the idiot light comes on as 250, and I have had that happen. So I don't know what the difference is between a, a rear end and a transmission, but I guess they thought yeah. it was important enough to put a red light comes on at 250, but not on the transmission. Yeah, my guess is when it comes to temperature, they're both probably very, very similar. When it comes to oils, we do have to use different oils because of uh, increased pressure in the differentials between the gears that you don't have in a transmission. So we use there's additives that have to go in that differential oil. But temperature wise, I would think that they both should handle the same temperatures. Yeah, well, I don't want to test it just to find out. Oh, come on. Come on. That's how we learn. If the red light comes on, well, it was a few years ago, I was trucking along one night, and next thing, boom, the red light popped on, and my front rear end, the temp, just the front rear end, not the back, the temperature shot up on it, and I went to, I was in Birmingham area, and I went to the Peterbilt dealer, and the next morning, they came out, and I told them what had happened, and they jacked the truck up and they checked everything and they were measuring tires. But they said, oh, you got different size tires. And it was only like quarter of an inch difference on all eight of them. And then I talked to Mike Beckett and his recommendation was just change the fluids in both rear ends and keep on trucking, which is what I did. And I never had a problem. The light went off. And so maybe just the oil broke down in that front rear end and in the, I don't know, something that made the temperatures shoot up or something. So, yeah, but I, I never actually, apart from an oil change, I never did anything. So, yeah. Yeah. So, all that's right. all I got today. That's all we need. Good stuff. And we did get a couple extra calls, so we'll hang out. Let's go to Iowa. Jim, welcome to the program. Morning, gentlemen. Uh, got a question. Been driving old school trucks for. 25 years. Now I'm finally looking to upgrade. I'm looking at a 2020 so, Max. So define old school MC8. trucks for us. Tell us what you're driving. Uh, right now I've got the one that's all souped up. It's got 700 horsepower to the ground to do heavy haul with it. I, well, give me some uh, specs. Give me, yeah. give me some specs. 355 rear. Okay, what engine? Cat motor. Cat? Got the cat. Yep. Okay. Got the cat motor with the heavy haul cat too. Got it. All right. Now you're looking to to head on into the modern world. Yes. Yes. Uh, great hesitation. It's uh, automatic. Uh, MP8, 12 speed. Uh, it's got the 308 rears, and I'm scared of the 308 rears because we haul up to 290,000 pounds. It's meaningless. On a multi-axle RGN. Well, let me me correct that. It's not meaningless, but it's not probably what you're thinking. 
You're thinking that that gear may just be too high to have any kind of pulling power, which that part's meaningless because that's why we have 12 gears in the transmission. But where it is a concern, yeah, there you go. And that, that is the concern. We do have to go calculate the startability. Now, I wouldn't keep looking at this truck, but if you are interested in a good, now, yeah, if you're interested in a good heavy haul platform, and I people think I'm crazy when I say this, uh, but it now, in my opinion, the Mac or Volvo um, heavy platform is the truck. But I would, with the kind of weight you're looking at, I would be looking at their 14 speed, not the 12. The, their 14 speed has two really low crawler gears and reverse. It's ideal for this kind of stuff. You, you can go down into the low 240 ranges and maybe even a, a higher, I guess, lower number on the rear end uh, and still have startability. Well, that, that it's fine. I did find the 21. It's a late 21 with the 14, the compound turbo, and it's got two 64s, I believe. So we. 60 something. Yeah, which is going to give you your startability, even at those weights. What we would look at then is the top end enough for the speeds you want to run? Uh, 65. Then, then you should be fine. I, I don't have my calculator in front of me, but that's more of what you would want to look at. I would stay away from um, this 308 setup like that with the 12 speed. You're just you're not going to yeah. have the startability. You're going to give up more on the top end. Um, it's way too much of a compromise when the the other option is out there. That 14 speed. Um, we can keep good startability. We can keep good low piston speed up at the top end, give you a couple gears. You could run highway speeds in. In my opinion, the Volvo Mac platform today is the best heavy hull spec we've ever seen. I know people don't think about that, but I really believe that it is. Well, that's why I want the Mac. I just, the Volvo, the look of the Volvo, just, I, I like I said, I've been... I've had a nose all my life. And yeah. First that's, nose I'm going to have besides this V800. Yeah. But, so it, it, you know, you're looking at lifetime fuel consumption on that truck with the 264s, I believe is what it was, rear ends. I mean, that thing, it's lifetime according to the it, dash, not according to paper because, of course, I didn't have it. But according to the dash, for 380,000 miles, it's got eight miles to the gallon. That's incredible. Um, and we do trust those dash readings now. They're usually very accurate. They're very close. Um, I, I would imagine in your operation, the fuel savings will pay for the truck. Well, that's what we're looking because with this, when I hook up, of course, you know, I'm getting three. And when I'm empty, I'm getting five. Yeah. So it, it the fuel See, savings I'm, will. I'm shy, I'm shy of 80,000 pounds empty. Now, yeah, and my guess is that eight plus that's showing on that dash was not in your kind of an operation. We're not expecting you to get eight. That's not what no. I'm calculating this on. I'm, I'm no, shoot- they, they pulled a drive in behind it. Right. I'm really thinking in your operation, this is going to be six to six and a half, but that is a huge increase over like, where you are now. That is a big, big right. Discount. The, the dollar savings on that in, improvement is huge. Here's what I would do. 
because we're talking about weights in excess of 200,000, I almost never calculate these anyway. I've done a bunch of these with Volvo and Mac at 140, 160. Um, I would reach out to Joel if you want to wait till Friday's show. Um, and we can walk, we can walk through exactly the way you're going to want to spec this. But if you get this right, I, I have a feeling you're going to be very, very happy with this truck. Okay. And then, uh, so leads me to my next question. So I've, uh, I've got my front axle on this truck where when I'm pulling the small trader where I can lift that axle, does, uh, Mac have the same ability is the Volvo like Joel has? Yeah, you're going to have the adaptive. Now, I I shouldn't say I know that for sure, because thinking about it, I don't know that I've ever really looked at it on a Mac. I'm 99% sure. It's one of those times where I just don't want to say I'm positive, but I'm pretty darn sure that it does. I'll probably know here in a couple minutes. Somebody will probably text me. But I'm going to guess that we can set up that same 6x2 with adaptive loading. Yeah, because, I mean, we got the small trader, too, and it's only two axles, and you never go over 80,000 with it. I mean, it is an RGN, and, yeah, you know, worldwide. But, right. You know, when you're empty and you're deadheading 300 miles, you don't want all the tires on the ground. No, I, I love the way you're approaching this. And, and these are the advantages we can create going to these new modern trucks, not the stuff from like 04 to 14. Stay away from that kind of stuff completely. But now with an operation like this, and as soon as we started exploring that 14 liter uh, with the downsped concept, and I started looking at that transmission and what it offered, I really started looking at this saying, this it this should be the premier heavy haul setup. Really should be. Yeah, that's what I'm looking for, and that's just you know we just want to we want to get with the new age. Uh, we can't compete with the big companies that's got the new equipment. Yeah, give you know, us they can they can do it for a dollar less. Give us a call on. Yeah, no, I agree. Give us a call on Friday. Um, we can help with the exact specs you're going to be looking for. We'll run some calculations. We'll talk about your top speeds. Um, I'll even reach out to Jamie Hagen. Jamie joins me occasionally. Jamie is the Mac guy. Uh, Jamie learned probably everything he knows uh, from Joel, um, but then he kind of really specialized in the Mac platform. So we can get him on here too, and you can talk about any specific Mac questions you've got. Yes, and I've, I've made sure that they had the full skirts. Good. And I just, Good. Everything for Good. fuel economy. I just, I, I got to be able to compete. Yep. No, and, you're. Oh, and the transmission gauge. Yeah. I've always had a transmission gauge. I watch it like a hawk, along with my pyrometer and everything else I got in here. And my temp, my temp gauge, uh, running empty, so would be like their eighty thousand is two hundred degrees. You know, that that on a, on a hard hill, it goes to 240. That to me seems like where we should run them. I, um, um, I guess we've never really paid a lot of attention to this. I don't know why they don't manage the temperature right in that range on all trucks. I mean, it, it would be safe. 240 yeah. doesn't scare me at all in a transmission. And keeping it above 200, I, I just think that we would get maximum efficiency it's just surprising 
you know, like I said, I got the message, Volvo does do this. My guess is Mac does as well. Uh, I'm surprised that it took us this long to get to that. That seemed like something that could have been pretty easy. Well, you got more lubrication that way, too. I mean, yeah. you got a lighter oil once it heats up. Yeah, so. You know, All right. You got to keep everything. You got to keep well, everything up in temperature. And a lot of guys, they trade taking all this stuff out to try and get it lower. And they don't understand that they're just making it harder on themselves. Yeah. Yeah. We're, I, I'd never worry about that oil at that temperature. It's not going to break down. It's going to go 500,000 miles in the transmission just fine. And it's just, it is more efficient. All right, Jim, good stuff. Call us this Friday. Uh, get in early and we'll kind of make this a project on Friday. Let's uh, let's go to Georgia. Eric, welcome to the program. Uh, this is me on here. It is. Um, I haven't. <laughs> I heard the beep. I have ISX 15 2013. I just switched from a truck I was driving for 28 years to this truck. Um, the only complaint I have, it's pretty noisy. Um, I would say on the compressor side. Now, the mechanic that works on my truck told me that's due to the uh, common rail fuel pump. And somebody else told me if we put a bigger compressor on there, it'll quiet it down. Is there any truth to that? Pittsburgh Power Guys? Yeah, that I don't know. Okay. I can't answer that oh. one either. Yeah. The compressor would help or not. Yeah, now... My buddy just got, he said they changed the way you time that fuel pump. And in some recent builds, they said it's quieted it down. Under a load, it can get pretty noisy coming from a, I've been driving a truck for 28 years with a Caterpillar and it's pretty quiet. It's just, it's unsettling, really. The ISX air compressor is noisy. I haven't had that complaint yet. Have you, Pete? Well, it's either a compressor or it's a common rail fuel pump, but it's on that side of the engine, and there's conflicting things. Yeah, I, I haven't really heard many complaints unless there's something going on. So, you know, to figure out which side is, uh, we'll use a stethoscope and put that up towards the air compressor and see if the noise is there or the fuel system and kind of narrow down where it's coming from. Right. Okay. I mean, a truck runs great. It's getting pretty good fuel mileage. I mean... It's averaging in the high sixes to sevens, so which coming out of a 4.75 Caterpillar, 4.75 mile per gallon is pretty, pretty nice, yeah. I guess. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, uh, it's uh, where where are you located? I'm in Lancaster, PA. Well, I'm never there. Oh, but. Well, why don't you try to stop by the shop and just let us listen to it? If I get out that way, I will. I'm usually down south or southwest. But uh, okay. it's, uh, yeah, I'll do that. I mean, I could actually take a trip out west. It wouldn't be yeah. a big deal. I got, I got to go out to uh, ARI sleepers anyways and get a couple of things done to this truck. But I'll do that. I'll call, I guess, Pete. And uh, while you listen to it. Pete, Pete or Eric. Okay. Either one of us. I'm old, so I can't even remember my own name, so... <laughs> but uh, I'll, how I'll, old? I'll, how old? <laughs> Not as old as you. <laughs> <laughs> but I've when I got in this, in, when I got in this industry, everybody was older than me. Now everybody's younger. I don't know something happened here. Yeah, but now I'm getting older than everybody else. <laughs> yeah, but 
maybe maybe driving millions of miles is uh, hey you know i know it's a national pastime but but we should stop complaining about getting old because it is way way better than the alternative well you know Kevin, that's funny i told somebody on this at a doc the other day said those old guys should back you know retire or get away from it so the younger guys can make some money and he was saying some other things. I said, one good thing about being old, dude, I didn't pay a half a million dollars for a $150,000 house. Oh, man. So. <laughs> you ain't kidding. <laughs> you know, the, the, I mean, that's about the truth of it in, uh, in Pennsylvania. <laughs> well, it, it's, it's even well, the other... crazy where I am. I look at the, at the house we bought in 2012. I mean, it, it, even young people could have taken advantage of this. It was just 10 years ago. Um, the, the, if that house existed right now, it would be more than double that. I mean, we've added on and bought more land around it. And But if we just still had the original house we bought on the one lot, it would now be double what I paid for just 10 years ago. But the, well, where I live in Lancaster, PA, the problem is, like, in 1993 or whenever I built this house for like $152,000, I could now sell it for seven, 800,000. Yeah. But where do I go? Right. I have to leave. <laughs> right. I got to go hey. somewhere else. And <laughs> Hey, here's the, here's the best deal in the country. And it's not that far from you sell that house in that market and go buy one in the Youngstown market. They just about, I think they give them away when you open a bank account over there. Yeah. But, the farther you move towards Pittsburgh or beyond, the closer you get to snow, and I don't like it. Oh, I, and, I'll go and, the other way. And that that that, <laughs> that housing market is just awful. We had to sell two houses in that market, and it was shocking how little we got for them. Oh, that's so, hey, uh, work there. speaking of Lancaster, mm-hmm. uh, my puppy came from 20 miles east of Lancaster, and I finally, uh, when I got my first job, in Motor Freight Express in trucking in 1969, I heard of three towns. Intercourse, Blue Ball, and what yeah. was the other one? Uh, oh, there's plenty of bird in hand. In, 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 intercourse, yeah. Blue Ball, and there was one other one that was kind of a sexually Probably. related name. Oh, I don't know. Bird and, uh, oh, uh, oh, you're getting me now. So when I went to buy this puppy out there, he was raised Amish. Um, I finally got to drive through those towns to see that they were actually there. Well, if you go to Intercourse, if you're a tourist, you have to stop at the uh, historic sign and start humping it while people take pictures of you because that's what everybody from New York and New Jersey do. I've seen it a thousand times. I mean, I literally live 10 minutes from there. I, mean, I wouldn't do they that. See, they see that sign and they throw it in park, almost crash. Get out and go up and start hugging it and humping it and every other stupid ass thing. I mean, you expect it when you're from New York and New Jersey. Oh, we, we, ever since that movie, uh, Witness, we've been smothered by tourists from uh, mostly from New York and New Jersey. They just think it's the greatest. They come out there to buy Chinese-made stuff that says, that says it's Amish-made. Oh, great. Yeah. yeah. You know, most all those like stores that you went through intercourse on 340, you know, we call it the mall districts where all the stores are, and they say Amish made products. 90% of it's not. Oh, uh, you're it's, kidding. No. No. It's, it's, it's crazy. 
But oh, uh, paradise. The other town's paradise. Paradise. Oh, well, yeah. Paradise, intercourse, and blue ball. See, I live in Gap, which is probably about three <laughs> miles down Route 30 uh, <laughs> from paradise. And hey, yeah. You, you, know, hey, you know what that was like to be 19 years to be 19 years old and see freight bills with those names on there. I just couldn't believe it. Bruce, let me give you another. Oh, yeah. I, on when I when my trucks were parked in Richfield and I had to drive from Streetsboro, I'd take the turnpike and get off there at 21 and shoot over. There were two businesses and in, in, they were like little houses. You know, houses get converted to commercial. So there were two houses on the road there, right next to each other, two separate businesses. Here were the names of those two separate businesses. I don't know how you could drive by there and not not notice this. Um, the first one was called Superior Erections, and the second business right next to it was Deep Hole Specialists. <laughs> you can't like make the, that uh, stuff up. Just like the people that had bait and tackle shops and they have to put the word master in front of it. Really? You have to do that. But yet, yet I know of two of them and I don't fish. So. <laughs> or the guys uh, that do septic systems that have special sayings. On, yeah. You know, seen on the some, back or don't. Yeah. But, but the funny thing in PA, it, I think it's probably more than anything. You go five feet and you're in another count. You know, yeah. It's, you know, it's I have a septic there. company that I'm, that's, we're going to be treating their 30 gallons. They have three 10,000 gallon tanks and they do septic work with diesel fuel. Let me start over. They have three above ground 10,000 gallon tanks of whole diesel fuel. One's red, one's on highway, and I forget what the third tank is. But they, uh, they specialize in septic and they have some unusual sayings. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they do. Yeah. I'm not even going to say it on the radio. I had to stop buying fuel from a place near my house. They have like three above ground diesel tanks, like huge, like probably 50,000 gallon tanks. But they seem to get a lot of algae in them above ground tanks because I think cause they get hot. The temp- yeah, there's way too much temperature change, right? And any time there's airspace yeah. in that tank and you get those temperature changes, you're going to get moisture and condensation. That's what leads to algae. Yeah, yep. it's, we, we tell people if and your my, truck's going to be parked, you know, keep the tanks topped off. You don't want that airspace. Yeah, and, uh, yeah because I was having a problem with that. And uh, well, once that stuff lights off in your fuel tanks, it's hard to get rid of Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is. All right. We're going like to... Pete, what do we like have for algae? Pete, so we what's use that plum. Um, Killum is the name. It's from FPPF. It works really well if you have algae. Yeah. And it's not terribly it, expensive. Yeah. it's uh, it, It's gotten easier in the last couple of years to get rid of algae. There was a time there where we were really fighting with it a lot. We don't seem to see that much anymore. I don't know what it changed. It kind of goes in waves. For a while... We'll get phone calls for asphaltine, right? And that kind of disappears. And then we yeah. get phone calls uh, for algae, and that disappears. It seems to cycle. And then, which is odd, for a while we were getting filters that were turning black, but no problems, no restriction, no performance mm-hmm. issues, and and we were almost thinking that might have been soot. Remember, we were dealing with that for a while. Yep, that one. And it kind of disappeared. Yeah, and it just goes away. Seems weird. All right, let's go to Missouri. Lyle, welcome. 
Good afternoon. What's on your mind today? I'm not sure I want to get into all this uh, <clears throat> trucker stuff. There's some things we say we probably shouldn't talk about. <laughs> None These are left. actual towns, uh, though. These are actual towns in oh, I know. eastern Pennsylvania. I went to school back in near Harrisburg, and they told me there was a town called Lennon Course. I'm like, they're kidding. That's a joke, right? Until I drove through it, it's like, oh, my God. Why would they ever name okay. their town that? Uh-huh. But anyway. The other thing I was thinking about is age. Uh, I've heard that as long as you're as old as you think you are, and I've been thinking I've been 25, and I don't know, it's just not working. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I Like I tell people. I don't want to be 25 again. I want to be maybe 65. With I, Well, I don't even want my 25-year-old body back. I'm pretty sure my body right now is better than it was at 25. <laughs> But otherwise, um, I've got an ISX 15, bought it in 11, and from the day I bought it, that thing, you talk about loud, the air pump clattered and clanged. I thought, that thing, that engine's going to come apart. Uh, and that's what I thought. I never had one. Well, the, eventually the air pump quit, and I put a new one on found out if you don't time them right, they are loud. But if you time them right, it seems that a lot of the noise goes away. And when they put that one so in, it wasn't uh, timed right. Right. So, and I, I don't work on the ISXs. Uh, I'll have to check my text, but I know on the N14s and NTCs, if you used a uh, Cummins air compressor and not a Bendix, uh, we would always time it. So you'd put the engine on A, and then there was a uh, slash in, in the shaft of, of the, basically the crankshaft. And you turn that to as if you're looking at a clock to 930 and then assemble it. And that was considered timing the air compressor. It's something we always did on N14s and uh, NTCs. I'll check with my guys if they're still doing that or if it needs to be done for the uh, uh, X15 ISX engines. Very possible it still needs um, to be done. My second compressor went out, lunched it, got all kind of trash on my engine about two and a half months ago. And uh, there's still a timing mark on the air pump and um, said to time the engine. You you have to put the engine on A, as you mentioned, and then you have to time that pump. And when you stick that in with that gear, this one, you can't even hardly hear this pump. And it's identical to the other one uh, that I had first. So Okay. I'll make sure my guys are doing that. I imagine they are, but like I said, I'm not up on the newer stuff because I've been out of shop for a while. Well, this is a 2000, so it's not new. And, well, by that time, we were still doing busy with big cams and Ks, um, you know, still doing the older stuff in 2000. We were always a little bit behind the, the newer trucks. We didn't see them for, you know, it'd be 2005 or six before we'd see a 2000 truck. Right. Because we were just, they'd so this busy. One, you can walk around this one, and you can't even hear it, hear it clatter hardly. If you listen close, you might. But on the other one, it sounded well, like the engine was coming apart. That's good. It's quiet. So that's all I got. All right, that's all we need. Good stuff. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Oregon. Mike, welcome to the program. Morning, Kevin. This is Mike with the Big House. Been a while since I've called in. Yeah, what's on your mind today? Hey, I used to do heavy haul stuff when I was younger, and if I share this gentleman correctly, he was thinking about going to single drive. I think that would be a bad idea. This is my experience with that is if we're doing a five-axle setup, a lot of times we're loading out in, the, in a construction site, 
load a D7 up over that, the rear, it pushes the trailer tires into the ground. You can't hardly get get it to move from its spot. That and if we pulled with a Jeep with a nine axle setup with a Jeep in there, and when we're climbing uh, the the grapevine there in California, it takes and pulls the weight off the drive tires, and we would start uh, wearing out all eight drive tires real fast. And I would just see having a single drive axle just be all bad for that. I, I agree with you. That's why I had him call back on Friday so we could take more time. Friday is really kind of our our get deeper into some of these different spec days where we can take more time on the call, really talk about his weights. Does he get off road? Because I agree with you. If we've got some of that stuff in there, maybe even if there is no off road, if we're over 200,000, and again, that's an area I don't spec very often at all. We've done 140, 160s, where you don't have to change a whole lot. Uh, but when, he, when we're talking over 200, uh, we'll, we'll really dig down and see what the operation is. And it, it we very mel, may well go with the 6x4 on this one. I think you're probably right on this one. Yeah, and uh, or also I would think a rear end temperature would heat up because we had a hard time. We were hauling tanks in and out of Fort Irwin, and we couldn't hardly keep our our, our drives cool. Yeah, they're always getting up to that two fifty. We have to stop and let them cool off. Yeah, you you would really be putting a lot of stress on that single when you're over two hundred thousand on a hard pull. So again, it, it Friday is a better time for us to really dig deep on specs and spend more time on those kind of unusual setups. And Bruce, I carry me a nineteen sixty four Volkswagen Dune buggy with me on my truck here. On okay, yeah. my trailer. And I appreciate you coming on that because I was always kind of wondering why it would sputter on me when I get on it. And you had mentioned that the Venturi's on the carburetor opens up so fast and it runs lean on me. I was always thought I was flooding it. So I appreciate your off-topic comics you, you throw in there. Okay. Are you running the catalyst in that? No, sir. But I do run it on my, my diesel, my truck. No, put it, in that, put it in that old Volkswagen engine. It'll love it. And it's the hot rod too. It's a twenty-one ten, so I, I should try that. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Should. I never really thought of putting it in the bug. Yeah, because all old engines were not designed for this type of gasoline we have today. And I got another question for you, Bruce. <clears throat> Excuse me. I got an old Dodge Power Wagon that I put a ninety-three Cummins in. Ninety-three Dodge Cummins in. Yeah. And you know, I, I really like lugging this thing down about 16, 1700. It starts to smoke and it's nice and quiet. Am I tearing that thing up, lugging it down like that, pulling my travel trailer? Uh, your peak torque is, I think, 1500, and you should be no lower than 17, preferably 1800 when you're working it. So, yeah, you're, you're a little low. And. <clears throat> I hear. Um, I understand how the engine works, but but why does running it slow, lugging it down, create so much more stress and want to throw a rod? You're keeping the piston in top dead center longer, so you have to think of milliseconds. The crank goes around, the connecting rod comes up, the piston's up at top dead center, the fuel's in there. It's really hammering on it, trying to force it back down, and so from the time the crankshaft goes up the piston is held in top dead center and then it passes over and then it starts down in so many milliseconds and on older mechanical engines 
that timing is not retarding like it does on new electronic engines. So you're really hammering on that piston. You're building cylinder pressures, but it's happening. And so when a piston comes up at higher RPMs, the cylinder pressure would dissipate quicker. And that's why the old, these old cats had issues with head gaskets. They would keep pulling at the low RPMs, but you'd build a lot of cylinder pressure at that RPM, and then you'd blow a head gasket or crack a head. And we didn't see that on N14s because you couldn't lug them. They just wouldn't go anywhere. You had to keep the RPM up. So it's, it's cylinder pressure is what we're worried about. Okay. So, so, so that cylinder pressure will want to bend the rod or break the journal, the crank journal? Well, think no, about it. No, it has a tendency to want to break the piston. Okay. Or blow ahead, gas ahead. And it is hammering out the top rod bearing. Because I did have an old Caterpillar D8 that we used to lug down like crazy when the real old 1950s. And while it was sitting there idling, while we were at lunch, we came back and, and we're like, huh, it shut itself off. It had a, it threw number two through the block. And it reminds me of Kevin's story, uh, cruising real nice and easy, one of his trucks, and threw a, threw a rod through the block. Yeah. It, so th- those high pressures, think about having it happen once in a while is not a big deal. But if that pressure, those higher pressures are, are there a lot, um, the bottom end may not be set up for it. A lot of the parts may not be able to handle that over time. They're not, not going to be a, you know, a one event thing. That's going to be a problem. It's that extra pressure over time. And then the thing we can never predict is metal fatigue. There's nothing we can do to know whether it's happened in our engine. We don't know why it happened. Maybe a part gets too hot one time and we'd never know it, but that metal fatigue is the one that we just, we don't see it. We never know when it's going to happen. Yeah. The greatest of all engineers at Cummins that I ever met was Mark Chapel, And his saying was, an engine has memory. And it remembers how many times you have gouged on it. And when the failure comes, it might not have been that mountain, but it was all the mountains before that. Yep. So... And Bruce, um, I changed my gear ratio in my, my big house T880 Kenworth to 228 gears. And now my transmission runs the same temperature because it's, you know, it's got the water cooling system. But my rear ends hardly warm up now, turning one-third slower, especially my rear driver. Right now, it's just at like about 130. And the front driver is, is reading maybe like 160. They run a lot cooler. And what, what year is this truck? 2020. 2020 with the X-15. The, I, I got, yeah, I got the X-15 with a 13-speed automatic, so I'm always running in 11th gear. I, I do take off in first all the time, and it seems to want to kind of jump up and down a little bit. But we do a lot of, lot of deadheading. We, we wait for the, the hot-paying load. I mean, my wife team drives. So like right now, we're deadheading a thousand miles for a hot load and it only weighs 1800 pounds and we take it all the way across the country. And, and so we, so we sit a lot. So that's why I take this doom buggy with me because I go bonkers sitting. <laughs> so, so I, I've ridden my doom buggy in almost every state and, uh, yeah, I just go running around and she likes to watch soap operas, but I can't, I can't do that all day. <laughs> You see, Kevin, you never know who's going to be calling us, huh? You never know. Everyone, 
Everyone has a unique story. In that. That's right. That's, you know, and I, we've had several of them this show. It's kind of like a tow truck system. I jackknife the truck and open up the front of my trailer, and the tow truck, the, the, the tray slides out and tilts down, and then it winches the buggy out the front. There you I go. I built it all myself. I used to be an oil-filled, I used to be an oil-filled welder and got it with me right now. Awesome. So when we make this delivery to the East Coast, if we're waiting for a hot load, I go buzzing all over the place. Does this student buggy have a roof on it? Yes, sir. I built a power roof for it, so it powers open with a, a 12-volt motor. Oh, so that way, man. It's much, it, it's, it's much easier to get in and out. It's so hard to crawl in and out of a dune buggy, hit my big old head on it, about rip your ear off a couple times. It's like, hey, this ain't going to work anymore. <laughs> I love so, it. Yeah, it opens up. I pretty much do everything myself. I put the disc brakes on it. I put a nice dash in it, and I do all everything myself except for the, the fancy paint. It's got that new, it's painted that new Dodge color purple metallic with some silver stripes on it. Why don't you uh, email me some pictures, and let's do a little story about this thing and how you haul it in your trailer and that, and uh, so other people can see it. Okay, I got my pen ready. Go ahead with your email. Bruce M. at... Pittsburghpower.com. As you say, remember, M as in Nancy or M? No, M as in Mallinson. M, M. At Pittsburghpower.com. And uh, make sure you put a subject. And don't forget, Pittsburgh ends in an H. Pittsburgh ends in an H, okay. I, I, I did build a contraption first, and I hauled my Harley, Harley Davidson with me, and it rode on the front of my trailer also. But after riding my Harley in all 48 states, I got bored with it. And so now I'm about halfway covered through all the states taking my dune buggy with me. That's good. Yeah. So, so was this dune buggy post? built back in the 60s and 70s, or did is it a new dune buggy? No, it's a 1964. It's something I had for a long time, but it's a piece of junk. So I restored it real nice to make it reliable. It's a street yeah. car. And, uh, yeah, go run around all over the place and just make sure yeah, that was a, on. Don't want to miss, don't want to miss that hot paying load. That's right. That was, uh, and I'm sure you had voicemail set up on your phone, right? Uh, it actually, if I miss the call, it switches to my wife's phone automatically. So no, I don't have voicemail. It just switches to her phone. So she can. Okay. Well, that's okay too. Yeah. Now back in the sixties uh, and seventies, dune buggies were quite the hit. We, when I was a judge for international show car association in the early seventies, um, there was a lot of dune buggies in the ride and custom car shows. Yeah, there were. Yeah. Okay, guys, I appreciate your show. And Bruce, keep throwing in them off-topic comments, you know, for, for some of us, a lot of us old gearheads, we like that stuff. I learn something from you all the time on those, on those little comments. Now, sometimes when, you, never, you never know when they're going to come up, but all of a sudden, you know, somebody, one of the call, people call in will say something and it sparks an old thought. There you go. Speaking of thoughts, we're going to wrap this up for today. Anybody want to close with anything? No, I don't have anything, Kevin. I don't have anything. Bruce? No, I think I've said everything, so. All right. Well, Pete, uh, did, go ahead. Pete, did you get that email I just sent you? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. So, Kevin, did you know that there's a group 
for owner operators that are leased on with Swift. And, uh, group, what do you mean? Headed, headed up by two guys, and and uh, I did one one uh, like a Zoom meeting with them, and we're doing another one tonight. That uh, they're pretty informative. They are helping these owner operators quite well. Good, good. We need more of that. Yeah. I like that. It helps the camaraderie of the group. Do they listen to the show? Just like the Larry Long group. I think they do. Yeah, good, good. Yeah, we need a lot more of that, so I encourage that. Yeah, okay. All right, we will see you back here tomorrow for Destination Health. I don't have a guest. I have an open I'm working on. It's kind of complicated, so I'm going to go see if I can uh, figure out a way to get it to make sense and we'll uh might be my open tomorrow so we will see you then be safe be profitable be fit and healthy always do the hard work and master the journey